grew up watching the team, listening to the team, uh, going back all the way. That's right, ATL. Uh, all the way back uh, to some bad teams and some good teams. And again, I'm 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 not going to say, hey, I'm just. I was a teenager uh, in the 90s and a college student in the 90s when the Braves were starting and getting into that run. I was a young kid in the 80s when they were really bad. And look, you celebrate these uh, any way you can. I, I, I put on Twitter last night, the last time this happened, I was in high school. I now have two sons, and they stayed up and watched the game with me last night, and that was amazing uh, to be able to do that. They said, Dad, does this happen all the time? I said, no, it doesn't, son. I, it, it, this doesn't happen all the time. Like you got to stay up late because you might not see this again uh, later. And I'm glad I got to watch it with you. Like we still got to go to school tomorrow. Yep, son, you still got to go to school tomorrow. But that's all right. Whatever happens, I'll give you a pass. <laughs> but the Braves get it done uh, last night. Uh, BJ Ben, we're going to talk about it all show long. We'll talk some college football on there as well. But again, best of seven against the Astros. You beat three of the best teams. In baseball, record-wise, to get it done. And you are World Series champions. Truly unbelievable. Special. Incredibly uh, uh, meaningful. Just emotional. Uh, what a night. What a series. What a run. And, you know, we all this morning were, were, were talking about uh, our favorite, of course, moments from the World Series. But also, Kevin, you talked about with your sons there, just talking about our, our families and, you know, growing up following the Braves and, uh, you know, watching the series and, 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 and talking about the series, talking about this team with loved ones. And, and then I know growing up, you know, your grandfather, one of the biggest Braves fans around, you know, we talk about my dad's a huge Braves fan, my brother, Kevin, you and your, you and your kids, it's just something that uh, everybody can share together, a championship that's been a long time coming. I mean, close a number of different times right there a number of different times and the Braves found a way and and not only did they win I mean I think they largely controlled the series against the Astros but it was really really special seeing all the social media posts uh again a lot of emotion from people and and I think for us as well uh, just just a storybook finish when you talk about going through Milwaukee going through LA then Houston, who had been in three of five World Series. Uh, the Braves earned this. Uh, you had countless guys. I know, Kevin, you've talked about the World Series. Sometimes it's not the superstars. Sometimes it's other guys that lead the way. Complete team effort. Uh, so much fun. Almost hard to put into words, Ben, when you think about this win and, and what it means for Atlanta, what it means for the state, what it means to so many people. But absolutely incredible. I uh, can kind of just just see, hear the energy, Kevin, and your voice, Ben. I mean, we, we walk in this morning, we're all looking at each other, and we kind of don't know what to do with our hands. The Braves <laughs> have won the World Series, and it's just something we can share and uh, something that we'll think about forever. Absolutely incredible. Wow. Uh, the Braves bring us all together in this office. Like, we all root for different NFL teams, college teams. When it comes to the Braves, it's almost like, it's almost like you know, borderline disrespectful when somebody asks you who you root for. Like, what? Like who do I root for in baseball? Like and and I and, and something and, and and Kevin don't even downplay the fact you said I'm sitting there watching it, you know, with my sons. Like that, we all got introduced to the game by somebody. But for me, it's my grandfather. You know, for Kevin, I don't know who it was for you. BJ, I don't know who it was for you. But it's how they introduce. They saying, listen, listen, that's the Braves right there. Meaning, I don't care what you do when you get old. I don't care where you go. This is who you root for. I don't know where you're gonna end up in life. This is who you root for. And the thing about it is. 
We talk about the Brewers. You talk about the Dodgers. You talk about the Astros. The Braves earned this thing. Like, they didn't go through no slouches. They had to, they had to be the team that put them out a year before in the NLCS. We're going to talk about all the, all the additions at the, at the trade deadline. Literally all those dudes contributed in this postseason. We talk about the moments that was made. But the guy who deserves the most credit is Alex Anthopoulos. Nobody saw this. Four years ago. Alex Anthopoulos is walking in, getting fingerprinted and everything. Got FBI agents walking by him. And four years later, he built a – no, no, no. Let me, let me stop saying that. He carried on a culture with the Braves. He says, well, listen, I'm not going to have these big million-dollar rosters that some of these other – forget outside of my division, within my division. We're going to do it the Braves' way. They trusted him. They trusted Snit. And when you look at how these guys enjoy playing with each other from the Jock Peterson quote, Telling the pitchers you got the night shift. I mean, I mean, Kevin and BJ, when you when you talk about writing the script, because you know it's already like now nowadays everything is documented, right? Every single thing you do before you even before Soler even ran the bases, it was already viral. But when they write this movie, it's gonna be one of the greatest movies you ever seen because of the cast, the characters. And I will say this right now: Ronald Cooney Jr. got a chance to be go down as one of the greatest players. In MLB history, he might be the greatest Braves teammate of all. This dude was on the sideline. I mean, that dugout, and he was loving. And I know Mike Soroka was in the dugout and different things, but I just, I just think that when you think about the Braves and why we love them, this is why we love them. We live and die with them. We act, Kevin, when they when they lose in the postseason, we act like we don't care because we we know what the Houston media is going through right now because we did it for four years. And obviously, when it comes to this Braves, like you said, Kevin, it's hey man. You, you can't talk about it until you do it. And we know how good the Braves were. We knew how great the Braves were. Now the whole world know how great they are. And, and Kevin, look, I, I definitely hope it happens in my lifetime. Again, I don't want to wait. I don't know how many years it was. <laughs> Again, I don't want to be sitting there with my grandkids as I was my grandfather. But this is why you love the Braves. This is why you talk trash when it comes to the Braves. Because you want to do two things. You want to win the World Series. You want to, you want to, you want to uh, beat the evil empire known as the New York Yankees. But they did, they did it the right way. It was theatrics. It was drama. It was everything you wanted. But no matter what, and I'm, I'm not going to call out a certain uh, tight end that played for the Jacksonville Jaguars that was talking trash when we had him on the show. I'm, he will go nameless right now. <laughs> but at the end of the day, Kevin and BJ, as they say, call me a lot of things, but make sure you put world champion next to it because these guys are world champions for life. Look, uh, yeah, uh, look, uh, and again, it was a special moment for a lot of people uh, in the Braves organization, Braves fans, and – I think you see that story a lot of times uh, out there because, again, for a lot of people, if you're my age, as a young kid, the Braves were the team. People all across this country uh, rooted for the Braves. Why? Because of TBS. But in the in the South, before the Marlins and the Rays showed up, if you're in Georgia or Alabama, Tennessee, South, I mean, the closest team you had was Baltimore or St. Louis. That's a long ways away. Uh, and so you had the Atlanta Braves, and they bond a lot of people. As you said, uh, Ben, my fandom goes all the way back to a little kid. Growing up in, in Metro Atlanta, we watched the Braves a lot. TBS, right there in Atlanta, uh, every night. In the summer times, I'd stay with my granddad every night. Win or lose, we're watching the Braves. Didn't matter. But granddad, they lost six in a row. We're watching the Braves. We are right there with that. I mean, so that's kind of ingrained in, in us that that is our team. And again, I'm not going to sit here and say I was as long-suffering as Cub fans who waited 100 years. But it was a long time uh, in between uh, championships and teams that had been good and good enough. But Ben, you are right. 2021 movie script is unbelievable. 
It, 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 I mean, you couldn't make this thing up. You lose Mike Soroka to an Achilles tendon tear. On what looked like a routine ground ball, you're thinking, man, we just lost our ace. People wanted to trade Austin Riley in April. They're chanting MVP in September. Ronald Acuna tears his ACL. I talked to my buddies. I, we talk on this show. We, you talk to other people around town. Without Acuna, man, I don't know. This team might be, might be it. Might be it for this season. They're going to run out of gas. Maybe we should trade Freddie Freeman and get something for him and start over. I mean, these are real things people said in July. The only person that I think showed a kind of a will of faith in this team is Alex Antopoulos. Because even the players are like, oh, dang, we lost Acuna. He's the heart and soul of this team. He's Mr. Superstar. We got Freddie Free, but those two together, unbelievable. And 10 days after you lost Ronald Acuna and everybody's all sad, some dude named Jock Peterson shows up, starts talking about we're going to win a World Series. Inside that clubhouse, we're going to do this. Alex Anthopoulos said, oh, I'm not done. Pablo Sandoval's not getting it done. We're going to send him off and get Eddie Rosario. What? You just traded Kung Fu Panda, who wasn't playing well, for a guy who's hurt? Yep. Won't be hurt all season. He'll be coming back. Believe in him. Jorge Soler, you traded him for a single-A pitcher. Come on, Braves, what are you doing? Dude is hitting 195. He's hitting 195. It's okay. I got you an offensive piece. Got you an offensive piece to come and help out. Adam Duvall, we love you, man. Quietly, 30-plus homers for the Marlins. NL RBI leader. Come on back, man. We'll, we'll, we'll get Adam Duvall for a couple of pieces. Truly unbelievable way that Alex Anthopoulos worked this and really showed the team. I don't care that we're under 500. I don't care that we're chasing. I don't care that we're looked at as running out of gas because our, our main guy got hurt. We're going to do this. I believe we can go get it. And they went out and got it. Lose Charlie Morton in the postseason. Lose Jorge Soler for the entirety of the Dodgers series due to COVID. And then he becomes the MVP of the World Series. I mean, BJ, you can't make this stuff up with this Atlanta Braves team. You just can't. It's remarkable. And, you know, well said, Kevin. It was just just listening to you describe it. You, you could kind of feel the energy build up retroactively to when the trade deadline moves were made and and then you know you couldn't win two games in a row and then you got hot and okay the Mets are struggling and what about the Phillies and you start to believe you start to believe and then we're here and Ben I know you've been consistent with that this whole second half saying look the Mets okay the Phillies okay the Braves have won three division championships now four in a row this thing goes through Atlanta and the more momentum you got, it all started to build on itself. And then, Kevin, you referenced it. You get into the postseason, and it's, okay, well, this is a team that only won 80-something games. Good story, but Acuna's not there. Soroka's not there. They're not going to – I mean, Milwaukee's red hot. They won the, the Central by, what, 20 games. Then you win that, and it's, okay, that you know, great story, but it's the Dodgers. They're not going to beat the Dodgers, the team that has knocked them out a couple of times in recent memory, including last year, and you win that. And then it's, well, listen, they're in the World Series. This is incredible, but not the Astros. The Astros are the modern standard, and Atlanta not only wins the series, they control the series. I mean, you had, you had some unbelievable pitching performances. You had home runs left and right from, from everybody. I think Freddie Freeman had five home runs in the postseason alone. And you just think about what this, what this means 
uh, to, to, to so many fans across the country. I mean, you think about Hank Aaron's legacy. You think about his incomparable legacy and, and everything that, that he represented and uh, honoring him. And you think about uh, just just the special moments you share with, with loved ones, with, with friends and family watching this, appreciating this. Um, you know, almost being in awe. I mean, I, Kevin, Ben, for me, there were times, especially given that for much of this season, Kevin, like you mentioned, the 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 talking points were not positive, right? And and even late in the year, you're you're having conversations like, well, they can't win two games in a row. Well, they made some moves, but they're not going to be able to, you know, get over the get over the hump and get into the playoffs. And all of a sudden, you're in the World Series, and it, and it felt surreal. And I just think. This entire second half, even with the narrative of they can't win two games in a row, they can't get over 500, you ultimately move past that, but that wasn't enough. You wanted to win the division, and that wasn't enough. And I think the fact that this team kept wanting more, kept fighting for more, kept striving for more is something that resonated with a lot of people. What's, what's the guy that say, uh, what if I told you? You know, you, 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 you could just see it coming because we saw some things this year that, that, that we, we, can't, we can't talk about enough. Kevin, we've lost a lot of Braves. This is the greatest Braves infield in Braves history, and they completed the task by winning it. You talk about you talk about Dansby, you talk about Isaac, you talk about Austin, you talk about Freddie Free. And the thing about it is, BJ, I don't know why we got to keep convincing ourselves about this, bro. We've seen them more than anybody. But I kept saying, why do we keep giving credit to the guys that raise a plan as if to say the Braves aren't there playing them? It's like, well, this Brewers team – Oh, man, I mean, but you know this Dodgers team, as if to say the Braves weren't just as dangerous. Now, I don't know what type of strategy uh, Snit came up with with the win-loss, 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 but <laughs> if, if your best player goes out on any team, you're going to get a mulligan for that season. Ronald Cooney Jr. goes out, all right, man, that's it. But Alex like, no, 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 no. Now I, I can kind of show y'all just how great of a franchise we are. So I, I, you can't say enough about this Braves team. They did it the hard way. They did it the Braves way. And they understood that respect is earned in sports. It's not given. And they earned it all year long. They earned it, definitely earned it in the postseason. And now, you know, the, everybody knew that the Braves were dangerous. But that, uh, that NL East might be the best division in baseball right now. We see how much recent success that entire division has had. But I just think that for this Braves team, they did it their way. They didn't have to break the bank to do it. And dare I say, I know we're going to talk about it. How much dangerous are they did this without Soroka and BJ Ian Anderson has been in the majors two years. And guess what? Two postseasons. His first career start Yankees, second career start Boston got to start last year in the NLCS. And, and a year later, world series champ through a five I'm, inning, no hitter. I'm, I'm, all I'm saying is, <laughs> all I'm saying is they always talk about sports being a young man's game. Well, the Braves are proven. Hey, man, I don't know if it's a young man's sport in baseball, but they're doing with a bunch of 20-some-year-olds, and I hope they can find a way to keep the band together because, man, this was beautiful to watch. I'm happy the Braves finally got over that hump. And, and Kevin Thomas' voice, there are no curses. There are no curses. No, there never was. I hate people that say that. The Atlanta sports curses. No, there never was one to break. Stop with that nonsense. They just finally played better and got, got the job done. And, uh, again, I was, I was kind of getting the kick because I knew who to talk to and who not to talk to. I wasn't sending Christian any messages, but I'm telling you. <laughs> Soler hit the home run. That was a dagger. But then Freddie Freeman, to top one off, it's 7 to nothing, And I'm sitting there going, look, 
Do you believe the Braves are a professional franchise or not? Because with Matzik and Will Smith and six outs and seven runs, if they can't get six outs before eight runs, then they don't deserve to be professional Major League Baseball players. They're going to do it. I, I, I was sitting there in the seventh, late seventh inning when the Braves got out of it. I was like, oh, this is happening. Because even if they struggle, it's not going to be eight runs into it. That stuff in baseball doesn't happen regularly. It certainly doesn't happen in the World Series that often when everybody's at the top of their game. Man, what a, a feeling that was last night. As you can tell, I am uh, may not have a voice by the time the show's over at the end of the day. But we got so much to get to. We'll hear from Fred Owens, Tomahawk Take, Bud Ellis, Braves Wire will join us. We'll talk with Braves legend Dale Murphy. I know Chris is a Hall of Famer. No, he's a Braves Hall of Famer, not the A Hall of Famer. But he is a Braves legend. And we will talk to him about this Braves team. We'll also chat with Chris Hummer, 247 Sports, about that college football playoff poll, which, well, well, that was rough. Uh, we'll get to that, though, here on the show as well. So much more to get to here on 3 and Out. Did the Braves put out a formula to try to win the World Series? We'll get to that when we return. It's 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Back here, three and out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben. We'll hear from Fred Owens, Tomahawk Tate, coming up in just a little bit. Heard a lot of folks saying uh, today, BJ and Ben, that the Braves put out a blueprint. And I know people say that whenever somebody wins. It's like, hey, the Patriots are putting out the blueprint. Well, yeah, if you have Tom Brady, that helps. But, I mean, did the Braves put out the blueprint in terms of, hey, we're a middling team. And I've heard people say this. The Braves were a middling team. But they still went out and bought at the deadline instead of sold. And I heard a lot of people say, if you're three or four games below 500, five, six games out, and you're not buying, your fans are going to go, well, the Braves just were in the same boat, and they won a World Series because they believed in themselves. What do you think was that key that the Braves put together there here in 2021 that ultimately got them to this point? Yeah, I think you obviously got contributions from all over. And – you know, Christian was even mentioning this during the during the uh, show meeting. Don't forget about guys like Stephen Vote and 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 uh, Kung Fu Panda. I mean, guys contributed who weren't on the team at the end uh, of of course in the World Series. But Kevin, when you kind of draw themes out in terms of what made the Braves successful, I and 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 bullpen play and maybe in the in the postseason those strengths became even more magnified because listen to these numbers. Braves led all playoff teams with 23 home runs. Freddie Freeman led all players with five. That's in the postseason alone. Braves led all playoff teams with six saves. The next closest team, for frame of reference, had two. The Dodgers had two saves. The Braves had six. And Tyler Matzik, who obviously is not a starter, led all postseason pitchers with three wins. So when you look at that production, those stats – I mean, does it tell you, Ben, that the way you win in the postseason and maybe the way you win overall is power at the plate? You know, Solaire, Duvall, uh, 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 Rosario, Freeman, Alba, I mean, everybody, everybody. And having a great, versatile bullpen, Jackson, Matzik, uh, of, of course, Smith at the end of the season, that you can turn to, is that how you win World Series? That's how the, Bra- that's how the Braves did it. And the thing is, what, what's scary about, what the Braves did, I mean, the other 29 teams think, oh, man, this, this, this is the way forward. Well, 
What would what were the Braves already doing? They were already winning. They already had a winning culture, and you and it's it's much easier to add guys to a winning culture than to put pressure on those guys to help you develop one. All the guys they brought in were role players. I say this all the time. The Braves have the most unselfish superstar you will ever meet in Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman is not a star. He is a superstar. And the thing about it is there's guys coming in, they want to play with two guys on the Braves. They want to play with Freddie, and they want to play with Ronald Acuna. And what happens is people say, there's, listen, there's nothing wrong with the word, uh, there's nothing wrong with the word, uh, you know, uh, I mean, being a role player, just like the word game manager and quarterback. I, I don't, because look at Solaire's role. Look at, look at the bullpen's role. And we're talking, and this is the same bullpen, BJ and Kevin, that was the worst at one point during the season. So the same people saying, hey, man, look at what they did. Look at what a, look at what a postseason does for the reputation of a bullpen. That let's go, we could call them that. They family. They were awful during the season. That's why when we look at Will Smith at the end of the year, we said, wait a minute, he was fourth in the majors, two away from being tied for first. And, and they go into the postseason with no nickname, probably not a nickname they wanted to be known for. They come out with the night shift. It worked for the Braves. The Braves don't overspend. The Braves get guys that fit the culture first. They know you can play. It's like Rosario. You're going to get a guy that's hurt? Yeah, but I know what he can do when he's not hurt. Look at Solaire. Why would you get him? I saw what he did two years ago in the majors. So I, I think that what the Braves are showing people is, look, man, you don't, got to, you don't got to just give all your money away because if you do and you don't win, you feel as though you overpaid. The Braves could beat well. I'm not. I'm not finna have saying it ain't my money. But Snit and those guys, they have to do what works now and in and in the future. And I just think that for a, for a postseason, the Braves was able to put it all together because that that bullpen went through a lot of growing pains throughout the course of the year. So they grew up during the year. But you know who else grew up? Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson. So you had a bunch of guys that were playing extremely well coming into this coming into this uh, postseason. So BJ. I, listen, if the Braves get to start a new trend, so be it. But that trend will go out the window if the if if whoever wins the World Series next year, right? And just say it's the Braves. And just say they do it with their bats. And they don't do it with they bullpen. Do you say, hey, man, I told you. It's, so it's it's a trendy thing right now, but what works for the Braves don't even work for the rest of their division, let alone the rest of the majors. So right now they're, they're having their, what, 48 hours, 72 hours of shine. It'll wear off because what Snit, Snit is a – Snit is a uh, – General manager, I don't think he does it. The Braves do two things. They trust Nick and they trust that farm system. They trust the decision, they trust the decision making. But hey man, the people want to follow 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 behind the Braves, so be it. But Kevin, you know, just like I know, if somebody's gonna credit their team winning on what the Braves did, I don't think that wanna be a winning strategy, even though it did work for one season. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot that the Braves went through and it kind of worked out. I mean, to me, I'm still kind of old school baseball thinking here where it's like the fact that the Braves had to do two bullpen games in a World Series is a little disconcerting. I mean, I understand why they had to do it and uh, and such, BJ, but look, that may be the way that baseball is going, where you do build it on, hey, the starter gets me to the fifth, and I have four or five guys that if we get there with the lead, it's over, uh, where it used to not be that way. It used to be, hey, I'm paying John Smoltz. I'm paying Tom Glavin. I'm paying Greg Maddox. Your job is to go out there and get me to the seventh, eighth inning, and then I give it to one guy I trust in the ninth inning. Maybe. Now it's, hey, I trust you for five, and I've got four guys who are fresh, all throwing 98 to 100 miles an hour that can go out there and get it done. It's kind of the the new wave of baseball, if you will. I know a lot of people don't necessarily like it, that 
you kind of have reduced starters to their stars, but they're not as big as stars as they used to be when you're really saying there might be guys in the bullpen more important than you. Uh, so it is kind of a new way of thinking in baseball, but yeah, you look at the way baseball has been managed the last handful of uh, seasons, especially in the postseason, and it's get me to the seventh inning, and if I have a lead, I'm going to beat you. Kevin, I wanted to ask you this about the bullpen, too. We are seeing the bullpens become focal points, not only for Atlanta, but just about everywhere. But, you know, not that long ago when I was watching baseball, when I was growing up, you know, you think about Mariano Rivera and you think about Trevor Hoffman and Troy Percival and, you know, Smoltz, Kimbrell, just big-time closers. Now, and I know you still have some of those guys out there, but now are you to the point where a guy like Tyler Matzik, who could give you a, a, a ninth-inning close if you needed it, but could also pitch – the seventh he pitched two innings last night can set up can come in situationally are those swing guys becoming maybe the the true stars of the bullpen in today's game yeah i mean i think they are and obviously matt six not going to pitch two innings every time he comes in that's more of a postseason thing but i mean obviously that was huge for atlanta because again bj you look at the confidence and i said this going to postseason look at the confidence you play with when you get to the seventh inning and it was mentor Matzik, Luke Jackson, and and Will Smith. I know Luke Jackson had his struggles against the Dodgers, but against everybody else, he was unbelievable. Uh, and you had four guys that you really knew, if we're winning after the fifth or sixth inning, you're you're not beating us. And that's such a huge, huge thing that uh, that people build up, and you got to have the trust in those guys. And and the Braves really developed that, I thought, with those four guys in the back end, and it really took some of the stress. Last year, the stress was all on the starting pitching. It was, please, dear Lord, get us to the fifth or sixth inning because we're running through guys left and right. This year it was, hey, we have enough guys that we believe in. If you can get us to that sixth, seventh inning, most nights we're going to win the ball game. We'll come back. We're talking more Braves. Fred Owens, Tomahawk Take will join us when we return. Hello, this is Leon Thirsty, University of Miami legend, Jaguar legend. You're listening to Three and Out with BJ, Ben, and Kevin. Braves win the 2021 World Series. They are champions of the baseball world. Our next guest here to uh, to talk about that and what a season it has been. Fred Owens of Tomahawk Take joins us. Fred, welcome. How are you today? I'm a lot better than I was this time a month ago, I'll tell you. We, we, won. we won. Actually, we came through and kicked, uh, kicked Kutcher's butt. <laughs> Fred, again, it's been so uh, so amazing to watch the story of this team. And I was talking with some folks and said, look, just a couple of months ago it was, oh, Acuna went down. Uh, man, that really hurts this team. Maybe it's time to look at trading Freddie Freeman or look for something. That, and Alex Anthopoulos said, no, we're not dead yet. I know we're five games out. But he made some moves, and every single one of those guys you could point to directly allowing this Braves team to win the World Series. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, really, if you think about this, uh, Peterson was playing for the Cubs, sort of, uh, you know, run the clock out up there. And uh, he, did, he, he wrote that he didn't want to leave Chicago because he didn't know where he would go that he liked better. And, you know, uh, uh, but he wasn't really doing anything up there. And, and, so they were getting ready to DFA him, and 
they, the Indians wanted to dump Rosario. All those guys were basically cast-offs, and uh, we got all of them for yeah, them Bryce Ball and some people most uh, some players most people didn't even know, except for Panda, who was basically useless for us to us after April anyway. It was, um, you know, and everything came together right for him. I mean, they could just as easily come over and still hit 170, but but they didn't. And then to top it all off, Miami decided they actually would trade with us, mainly because nobody else wanted to give them anything for Duval, I think. And uh, and all of a sudden, our outfield is uh, completely rebuilt, uh, modernized, and you know, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the effect that Guillermo Heredia had with on the team either. And, uh, you know, Al- Almonte was there early, and he filled a gap for a few weeks, and he did things for us. So it wasn't just the big three at the end, uh, but they were certainly the most impressive, and they were and Soler in particular uh, finally became the player the Cubs thought they signed uh, six years ago. Fred, going back to something you said uh, a moment ago, the Braves didn't just win this series. They really dominated. When you think about the fact that Houston had long stretches where they didn't score, uh, didn't have to go to a game seven, of course. How impressive was it that Atlanta not only you know beat Milwaukee, beat L.A., but then did this to Houston uh, and, and closing it out the way they did 7-0? I mean, Atlanta really was the better team in all aspects of the game, right? Well, last night's game, um, when they stepped, they shouldn't have stepped on Max's foot. When they stepped on his foot, he, they made him really mad, and he decided he wasn't going to give him nothing. Uh, and when Max is in that mood, nobody hits him. I, I heard people talk around, oh, you know, he had that bad start in game two. Well, yeah, it lasted about an inning and two-thirds, and for the next four and a third, he was lights out. Uh, I just, you know, people underestimate Max because he's a slim little dude, and he doesn't blaze 100 in there at you, and... And shake his fist at you. He just goes out and, and gets you out. But um, no, I Max Friesman, my horse, buddy. I tell you what, I I love the guy since I saw him come up. And when when he started dealing in the first thing, I said, "This is this is over, okay? This is this is over because Max was not giving anything up." And we didn't just beat them; we kicked their butt in their house. And it, it's it's one thing to get it's one thing to get beat, but. We know what it felt like a couple of years ago. We got beat in our house. We got stomped on. And we give that to Houston in their house. And as much as I love Dusty Baker, I'm not sorry that Dusty and them lost. I, you know, <laughs> uh, throughout this whole this whole series, all six games of this series, with the exception of, of the fourth game, uh, the Braves pitching has been superb. Okay, they won a game and they won a game in in Houston. In the first uh, first point, Houston won a game in the first two. Then that was that was going to happen. Their house first two games, they're they're wired up, and they only lost game four because Snitker had nobody else to pitch. Okay, he set out he set out Tucker and and bless, bless Tucker's little heart. That was just too much for him. And when he brought Mentor in, Mentor was gassed. You could see from the way he was pitching that he was throwing hard, but he didn't know quite where it was going. And when you look look, look at all the people that – all the pitchers that people wanted to bring in, all of them were wore out. Uh, and, I, you know, Snicker said, look, I got two more games. I got Max coming. If I can keep Matzik and Smith and Jackson ready, we're going to win this. 
And so he, you know, he went with, went with the other other guys there, and people were crying and moaning that he didn't uh, make the change. But we have the World Series title now, and and so I think they're wrong. <laughs> Fred, talk about the, the culture of this team. When you think about the fact that, like, as Kevin mentioned, Ron Lacuna Jr. goes down, Mike Soroka never ever made it on the roster this year. Marcelo Zuna is no longer with the team. The the the, the guys you added at the trade deadline to have this, you have the quote night shift in the postseason. Just talk about the culture of this team. That's obviously, I still think it's Freddie Freeman's team. Well, well, you know, yeah, it is Freddie Freeman's team, and. Uh, it, it will it will always be Freddie Freeman's team unless Alex does something really dumb and lets him walk. I, the the culture of the team is exactly what what Smith said it was after the game last night. They they're consistent. They play defense. They play for one another. If somebody makes a mistake, somebody else picks them up. Uh, the pitchers talk. And they sit around and figure out how to win games, how to pitch to people in games. Uh, this is a uh, uh, as close to a family atmosphere as you're going to find on a baseball team. Uh, these guys all respect and love each other, um, and it's just an amazing kind of, uh, of, of fault. When you see them bringing players like Soroka uh, and, and Ronnie along with us to Houston so that they can enjoy, and it's Stephen Vogt. You know, Stephen Vogt had to have surgery, and the Braves said, yeah, when you got to the hospital, come on to the World Series with us. You were part of this. We want you to feel this experience. We want you to be here. And you know, that's what you do with your family. You grab the kids and say, look, I'm going to take you along with this because this is going to be fun. And, and they just made it. Everybody who took part, who was still with the team, was with the team in Houston. And that's important in building the relationship. And that, that's down to Snitker and down to uh, Freddie and, and the coaches for this team. And Ron Washington, I can't say enough about how, how much Ron Washington affects those young players and how he, he speaks directly to their heart and how he gets them to do things and, and, and work. It's just been a, a magnificent experience. And, I, I you know, you, you need to pay attention to this. You need to think back and look at this because this kind of thing doesn't happen all that often. Uh, it certainly yeah, it doesn't. And, uh, and, and Fred, you, you look at I've been saying this uh, for a while heading into the postseason because there was a time I was pretty much done with him. But I guess we all owe Will Smith an apology because he was pretty much perfect uh, during the postseason. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, I think when people look at stuff and they see superficial stuff, and I'm guilty. I, I will say that I, I, make, I make dumb statements on Twitter all the time. Uh, I, I think that. You look at superficial stuff and you say, well, you know, pitcher A would be better in here than pitcher B. But the only people, and I said this to our writers group when we were in there and they were throwing stuff around, I said, look, nobody here knows what he knows about those pitchers. Nobody knows who's gassed. Nobody knows who needs the day. Nobody knows if Martin's got a, a, a migraine of that day or how Miller's arm's feeling or you know, anything about that, whose who's wife is sick, who's having a baby, whose who's grandfather's ill and his family, nobody knows those things but the managers and the coaches. And, okay, we can say that, you know, he, we, we bring the two pitchers in the game and we think he got them in the wrong order. Yeah, okay, that, that's maybe we can say something like that. And, and pundits get, say, get, get paid to say things like that. And I know fans don't pay that much attention to it, but – He's been really good. I mean, he's four straight times uh, in the division, 
and and a World Series. And I don't know that there's a whole lot of managers that have done that. In fact, Alan wrote a few weeks back about the managers who'd won divisions four times in a row, and there weren't but three or four on that list. So you've got to you've got to get Brian Snitker credit for this uh, and his staff. Uh, you know, Snitker said last night, "This is my staff. My staff did this." You know, well, uh, Walt Weiss and 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 Ron Washington and and EY and and. And, and Kranitz gets a horrible rap from the fans. The pitchers love Kranitz. Uh, they, they swear that he makes, does them so much good, and the fans just don't like him or Seitzer at all, in spite of the fact that this team hits and pitches with the best of them. Um, I'm not in favor of some of the things they do, but you've got to give them credit. Four division titles and a World Series championship. Ah, go show me somebody else does that. Yeah, not too many. It's a wonderful day. Braves are the world champions. Fred Owens, Tomahawk, take our guest here on 3 and Out. Fred, appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Oh, it's always my pleasure. You guys stay safe out there now. Will do. Fred Owens joining us here on 3 and Out. We'll come back. College football playoff rankings are out. We'll debate that briefly as well here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. We'll miss all the Game 6 World Series winning going on by Atlanta last night. You had the... College football playoff rankings released. Georgia, Alabama 2, Michigan State, and Oregon, your top four. Again, it's poll number one. PJ, we said we weren't going to do this. They sucked us in uh, to talk about it. But a lot of people sitting there going, some of this just doesn't make sense here. Pretty hard to understand. I mean, Cincinnati's on the outside looking in by a considerable margin, relatively speaking. And they have a top 10 road win by... Two scores. They beat Notre Dame in South Bend, and obviously they don't have a loss. Nope, not even close. And then you look at Oregon. I know Oregon beat Ohio State. You lost to Stanford, who's not good this year. I love Alabama, but if you're talking about what we've seen this season, they do not deserve to be number two. They don't. But I think the biggest thing, if I'm Cincinnati, I'm looking around going, what do I have to do? Ben, you used to tell us we have to get a big out-of-conference win. we got to beat a big name. You went to Notre Dame and dominated, and it doesn't even matter. So, hard to understand. BJ, I mean, we keep doing this. So listen, listen, am I, am, I, am, I, am I best Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire? I'm not going to do what you think I'm going to do and just freak out. No, BJ, just think about this. Cincinnati sits down in front of the college football playoff committee. First, you know, first ranking. What's your name? What you did? Who you beat? Uh, we beat uh, Notre Dame. Oh, uh, okay. Who else you beat? UCF, yeah. What's your name again? Cincinnati. Cincinnati Bearcats, yeah. Football, yeah. I'm going to get back to you, but uh, good job. Because, BJ, let's not act as if you don't have to have that national appeal. But they did play Georgia in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl last year. They came up short. But kept, but like Kevin said, they needed some intrigue. So Cincinnati, Cincinnati head coach, called. Uh, he called Baylor. He called TCU, and they said, welcome to the club. At least they got you with the first rankings. They got us with the last <laughs> yeah. ones. Yeah, despite not nothing <laughs> happening. Uh, they, and maybe, and again, Maybe this is could be the – I mean, again, I have been on record saying I don't think they were going to get in regardless, but maybe this is the committee's way of saying if we put them at two or three and they didn't lose, how would we explain that one when we moved them out? Now, they're already out. They're not in there. And as you said, BJ, what all do you got to do? Who the heck knows at this point? Uh, Georgia, Alabama, Michigan State, Oregon, your top four. We're coming right back. Take three, Bud Ellis, Chris Hummer, next hour here on 3 and Out. Southern Pig- three and Out here on this – Wednesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben, world champion Atlanta Braves. I'm just going to keep saying that uh, until next year when it uh, when it rolls back around. 
We got a lot to get to here on the show. We'll talk with Bud Ellis, BravesWire.com. We'll talk about the Braves and their big win last night. Also, Chris Hummer, 247 Sports. We'll talk to him about the college football playoff rankings out there. And Dale Murphy, just Braves legend, do I need to say more, is going to join us uh, coming up on the show. We'll talk about all that happened in this best of seven series that ultimately led to the Braves winning it all. That being said, let's take three here on three and out. All right, uh, BJ and Ben, take one is Freddie Freeman now a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you know, assuming we see current trends continue, I mean, if he never uh, hits another home run, I think that's maybe a, a, a different discussion. But given what we've seen, I think yes. And, Kevin, I remember having these conversations with you in the past, and there was always, yeah, he's on that track, but he doesn't quite maybe have the postseason resume, doesn't have the championship. Well, in the last two years alone, he's got the NL MVP, and he's got a World Series title and keep in mind this postseason he had the most home runs of any player he had five home runs so yes Freddie Freeman has been there with the same organization has been a part of a not not quite a dynasty but a, a modern dominance of four straight division titles with a championship Ben, you've mentioned before that was with the Braves when it wasn't great and kind of helped lead the organization forward and has been sort of the face of the team but was Freddie was brilliant, as expected, this postseason. And the numbers reflect that. Uh, I, I think you, and, and hey, this man, please, but I think you expect uh, similar production moving forward for at least three or four years. I mean, I think Freddie Freeman is, what, 32, 33, somewhere in that range. And he's the best first baseman in baseball. Uh, I think he has proven that the benefit of the doubt is something he's earned. You expect 300. You expect 25 home runs. You expect 100 RBI. So, yes, after what we've seen the last couple of years and being, you know, the star on a team that just won a World Series, Freddie Freeman's going to be in the Hall of Fame. I think, I think, uh, I, well, obviously the answer, uh, the clear answer to that is yes, but <clears throat> I go through the checklist when you talk about Freddie Freeman. All-star. <coughs> Excuse me. Yes. Best player on your team. Yes. Best player at your position. Yes. Does he have an MVP? Yes. Has he been in the postseason? Yes. Has he been a postseason contributor? Yes. Has he won a World Series? Yes. Because BJ, I mean, and, and, and I mean, listen, and I mean this respectfully. One of the most consistent players, I mean, you know, I've ever seen play the game is Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter was consistent. Now, Freddie Freeman might not be that consistent, but he ain't far away. Freddie Freeman is about it. When Freddie Freeman went into a slump this year, everybody, and MLB was like, what's going on with Fred? That didn't last long. Freddie Freeman always shows up. But I thought, but I, and, and, and that was my Kevin Thomas checklist, by the way. I'm always asking Kevin about Mike Trout. You know what Kevin says? Oh, man, best player in baseball, yep. And his number's going to get him in. Not postseason play, sure. not World Series play. And that's a team thing. So the thing about Freddie Free, he is good both individually and he helps the collective, that being his team. So he, he checked off every box. I mean, I won the World Series right after I won the MVP, after winning four straight NL East crowns, and I'm missing consistent on my team, and I got to share the same team, Ronald Cooney Jr., who's next up. So I will go absolutely BJ. Freddie Freeman is a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I think if you are Ben made a great point, I was actually going to say that. If you're Mike Trout and you don't have the postseason accolades, you better have the numbers. If you do have some postseason accolades, well, then maybe the numbers don't matter as much. Uh, and now he's got an MVP and a World Series, and he's starting to put together a solid run of consistently having his team 
in the postseason. And again, with the young talent on this Braves team, if he stays, and again, I believe he will, I don't think this is stopping anytime soon. You're going to be a, at least a contending team. I'm not saying you're going to win the division, but you're a contending team for the playoffs every single year right now with Ronald Acuna and more uh, on this roster. So I think it's headed that re- direction. Is he going to get to 3,000 hits? And that might be on the outside looking in. Can he get to 2,500? Certainly. Can he get to 1,500 RBI? Certainly. And you're talking about some milestones there. Can he get to five, 600 homers? Eh, probably not. Can he get to 400, 450? I think that might be a possibility uh, out there as well. And if you do all that and have the postseason success, yeah, you're you're on that track. That's, of course, assuming he continues to play baseball, which uh, you know he's going to. And the Braves will bring him back. I heard Buster only say it, and I couldn't agree more. They, he was asked earlier today, what are the chances like the Yankees or or Mets just throwing a wad of cash at Freddie Freeman? What chance do you think he leaves the Braves? He's like, uh, Freddie Freeman is the Braves. The Braves are Freddie Freeman. I give it a .05 chance of happening. Like, it ain't happening. The Braves are going to, to bring him back. Moving along, take two. Which players from this team certified themselves as Braves legends? I know we throw that around like Beast Goat Savage legend. But who made themselves a legend this postseason? Yeah, and I, for me, guys like Freddie Freeman and, and Ronald Acuna already Braves legends. But I think when you talk about what you've seen in this postseason, okay, Jorge Soler, that 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 home run, and I think a lot of people felt this when he hit the home run last night. The series was over. You hit the ball out of the stadium. I know it's very early, but from a confidence standpoint for Houston, from a momentum standpoint for the Braves, you know, the energy, the reaction, the, you know, the entire atmosphere changed. The way he hit that home run and just how it uplifted the whole, it was over. It was over. So, and he's had a number of huge moments. Solaire for me, Braves legend forever, 20 years from now. You know, like we talk about the guys from the 95 team, Solaire legend, Eddie Rosario, most hits of anybody in the postseason. I think what 23 hits in the postseason made history. Uh, NLCS MVP Eddie Rosario is a Braves legend. I don't care if he doesn't get re-signed. Maybe he only plays a half a season with the Braves. He's a Braves legend. Tyler Matzik, Braves legend. Braves legend. Especially go back to closing out LA and you come in with trouble. I mean, runners on second, runners on third, and you strike out Pujols. You strike out Mookie Betts was huge in the World Series, did whatever you needed him to do. But I think the the moment, the, the passion, the energy, Kevin, uh, from that one uh, cleanup job against against L.A., that's what people will remember. I think Tyler Matzik, Braves legend. Max Freed, Braves legend. I mean, we talk about the, you know, the great starts in the World Series from Maddox and Glavin and Smoltz, and I know those are all-time iconic names. What Freed just did is right up there. Freed just gave you six innings, and Kevin, you mentioned this in the show meeting, in an era of baseball where that's no longer the status quo. You know, I think if Freed would have given you four, given you four and a third, I think a lot of people would have said, wow, great job. You know, you got us to the bullpen. He gave you a full six and did not allow a run against the, from the regular season, best offense in baseball in their building. Max Freed, Braves legend. So I think right now, look, the whole team is legendary, but I think Soler, Rosario, Matzik, and 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 Freed, in addition to the guys that were already legendary, are now Braves legends. I mean, BJ. I mean, Jorge Soler. I mean, if he if he can even walk around Atlanta right now, I mean, he's a, he's a bona fide rock star. 
Eddie Rosario, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, you know, NLCS. Uh, you talk about Mazic, you talk about Max Reed. Jock Peterson, look, I mean, everybody's going to be known for. Yes, Jock you're Pe- right. Yeah, Jock Peterson, yeah. when he first gets to the Braves, he's talking about going to the World Series, going to the World Series, going. Getting on, get on, get on, getting on the bus with the pitcher saying you believe might be, you know, going to be the reason why we win, you know, a championship. And, you know, I know, I know, BJ, I know you're talking about magic. I'm going to go, listen, I'm just going to, listen, if I'm going to go with the night shift because I'm, Will Smith is a legend because when we get to think, every, all these guys we're talking about had moments, right? Well, if you are a part of the night shift, I'm going to tell you who else is a brave legend and it might not be. You know, necessarily for what just happened in this World Series. I'm going to go with Luke Jackson because this is why, though, Kevin. This is why. No, I mean, this This is why I'm saying it, though. When I think about this culture of the Braves, you remember, you remember a year ago, a couple of years when all the Braves, everybody in the bullpen was hurt. Luke, like, I got to run out again and again. They built him for this moment. But BJ, a guy that I don't know how many people have done this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Ian Anderson. Just for being called upon in his second year, to start to give you quality starts, and obviously he had to get past that first inning. I, I, we could say everybody, but I, I'm, I'm just saying he pitched a five inning no hitter so, in the so, World Series. So, I mean, uh, so so uh, so for me, BJ, it's so many guys, but the, the, obviously Solaire, and, you know, and uh, Rosario, and obviously you know uh, Max Free, but Jock Jock Peterson was that vocal leader. He 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 saw something. He like, dude, I've seen you guys from afar. I know how good I wanted to be on this team, and and it's, you know, obviously, you know, he Joe Namath that thing. We gonna win this thing, but they they proved him right. So for me, man, you know, Jock Peters with that vocal leader, but yes, Jorge Soler. I mean, look, I ain't got no money left, man. I'm trying to decide what what to get you guys for Christmas. <laughs> and fanatics told me, hey, man, <laughs> Soler's they might be sold out at this point. But yes, BJ, a lot of a lot of uh, and obviously Freddie Freeman was already a legend, but he's seen it. His legacy as well in his in his post. Yeah, I think those Tyler Matzik's might be rolling <laughs> off the shelf too. The, the way that guy pitched. But yeah, Will Smith. Again, BJ, I said at the start of the uh, the postseason, like, might we get to a point where we owe Will Smith an apology? And I said it back then. I said, Hey, man, I'm sorry. You were building towards something, and that something was no earned runs in the postseason. Your ERA for the postseason was zero. Sorry I ever doubted you, Will Smith. Sorry I ever doubted you. <laughs> it was spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Yeah, did not allow a run, and it was great to see. I know, you know, dealt with a lot of criticism. You're right. I mean, look, I, I'm sorry. We're all sorry because he was he was great. And, and then you are right about Jock Peterson. Just, just the, you know, the expectation to come in and say, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to get there. I'm going to, I'm going to have, you know, big time moments at the plate. I'm going to, constantly reinforce this idea of confidence and conviction and we can do this no you're right jock is absolutely a braves legend but yeah will smith man he was as good as it gets he was lights out absolutely in the postseason all right moving on quickly take three obviously now the braves win you got some more roster decisions to make but if you can only bring back three of duvall peterson rosario and Solaire, who you bring him back it's tough really tough. I think Solaire's priority number one, his power and his versatility in the lineup. Kevin, if you think back, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we've seen him bat leadoff, second, fourth, fifth. I mean, he can do a number of different things. 
Uh, I think I think Peterson, and you were talking about it in the show meeting, and Ben, you're right, you know, what he means to this team and the expectations. Maybe it comes down to Duvall and Solaire. I think if you could get Duvall on a one- or two-year deal, I think he's 33. That might be the way I go. But if you're looking for a long-term deal, potentially so, uh, 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 Rosario, I think he's going to have – uh, a lot of a lot of potential teams out there offering him some big money. I think if you could go Solaire uh, along with along with Peterson and Duval, would love to get Rosario, but I don't know how much he's going to cost. I think that would be a home run, for lack of a better phrase. Listen, if I if I if I when it comes to why Freddie Freeman, if he's priority number one, Solaire is priority number two. Jock Peterson, BJ, for everything I mentioned. I mean, his, his vocal leadership and just that confidence that he brings. And listen, Duval, man. I mean, you always. I think. I think you got a shot. I think. I don't know if he's under contract for uh, for another year, but yeah, I would love to have Rosario back. But unfortunately, because of everything goes viral, that's going to drive up the, that price, and uh, the money's going to go to Freddie Free. But Solaire, Jock Peterson, and Duval. I mean, Rosario, we, we we appreciate you for the memories, but hey, man, somebody got to go. At least, at least you're gonna get your dollars up when you do have to go. Yeah, I feel like somebody's got to be the odd man out, and with the expectation that maybe with the collective bargaining agreement that. The DH is coming back. Ronald Acuna coming back. Somebody's got to be the odd man out. Duvall, Solaire, Acuna, they can all DH. They can all play the field. I think Solaire might, or excuse me, uh, Rosario might be the odd man out in that equation. That's take three. We do it every day this time. We'll come back. Bud Ellis Braveswire going to join us for talking championship with Bud next year on 3 and Out. Series champions. It never gets tired uh, saying that. As uh, they win it last night over the Houston Astros, our next guest uh, with BravesWire.com, all things Braves, a good friend of the show. I know he was going bananas uh, there last night. Uh, Bud Ellis joins us here on 3 Now. Bud, welcome. How are you? Uh, I'm still kind of numb, if we're being honest here. I, I just, I, I, I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Of all the teams to end the Braves World Series drought, this team that could not get above 500 for 108 games this season. Got hot at the right time, and they wrote a story that we'll talk about for generations to come the past three months. And, and Bud, you can't tell the story of what happened the last six games with Houston without going all the way back to July. Ronald Acuna gets hurt, and Bud, I've known you a long time. You and me are probably the most optimistic Braves fans that there's ever been on the face of the earth that didn't actually wear the Braves uniform. But Acuna goes down, and you hear the narrative of this team's done. They lost their heart and soul. They lost the kid wonder, uh, and they just haven't been able to put anything together. It's done. Do you start selling off pieces? And Alex Anthopoulos, of all people, says no. We're going to get pieces. I still believe in you, and they get it done. It's it, it, Again, it's truly unbelievable, the narratives around this team from trade Austin Riley. He's not going to be there. Five months later, they're chanting MVP. Freddie Freeman, do you trade him to try to get something for him if you're not going to sign him? He has a great World Series. Just the unbelievable story of this team, but it's it's like nothing that, that you've ever seen the way it's run up and down that roller coaster here. It's remarkable. You, at, you go to the context of Acuna getting hurt the Saturday before the All-Star break. You were already gone, Marcelo Zuna, for over a month. Travis Darno had been out for two months. There's three or four Silver Slugger winners from last year. And, oh, by the way, the other Silver Slugger winner who was left in a lot at Freddie Freeman was hitting around 200 the 1st of June. I mean, I lived the Miracle Braves of 91. Let me tell you something. The Miracle Braves of 2021 actually won up that team that I didn't think would ever take the, would ever be challenged 
in the hearts of longtime Braves fans because the Miracle Braves of 2021 won one more game than the Miracle Braves of 91. I mean, again, you know, we, we throw adjectives around like legendary and storybook and awe-inspiring. Kev, they all fit this team. They all do. I, there's, there's no other way to describe it. I mean, what this team has done, what Alex Anthopoulos did at the trade deadline to transform a 500 team into a team that played at a 108-win pace the final six weeks of the season and then to run through the Brewers and run through the Dodgers and run through the Astros in the World Series and not just squeak by. Yeah, they won some close games, but those series from start to finish, you walked away from each of them saying Atlanta was the better team and Atlanta deserves to win. It's, it's truly – it's just remarkable. But uh, countless Braves moments stand out in, in history. But when you think about Solaire's home run early last night, felt like Houston had the momentum in the series coming back home with a win. Where does that one rank, that home run going out of that stadium, which ultimately led to uh, a victory in a World Series championship? I don't know if it ranks alongside David Justice's solo homer off Jim Poole in the sixth inning in game six and 95, but I'll tell you what, BJ, it ranks as maybe the hardest hit and the most destroyed baseball that I've seen from a Braves hitter in 40-plus years of watching this franchise. That ball was absolutely demolished. To your point, Max Fried gets out of trouble and escapes serious injury in that first inning. Game settles down a little bit, but your nerves are still just shot. For Solaire to do what he's done ever since he came over, and I know he hit 48 bombs a couple years ago with Kansas City, but the way the patience at the plate, the way he works at bats, the way he fouls off pitches, I mean, we've seen it time and time again, and he just kept battling until he finally got something that he could, that he could get a hold of. And I know for me, I didn't really breathe much after that because this is Atlanta. This is Atlanta sports. And hopefully that narrative is dead and gone forever now. But, man, when he hit that ball, there was just a feeling, I think, in that building of, uh uh-oh, the Astros are in trouble. And the Braves never looked back to their credit. But obviously we don't want to have to wait as long as we waited between, uh, you know, this World Series and the last World Series. But the world knows what we already saw started four years ago. I know it's all about this current crop. 2021, but Alex Anthopoulos and Snit, no one saw these two dudes bonding the way they're doing and trusting Alex Anthopoulos to put together to retool that front office, not just this team, but when you think about Alex Anthopoulos and what he was able to put together without Ronald Cunha, without Mike Soroka, it's got to just add to his legacy because no one saw this four years ago. I mean, I mean, when we talk about context of the season, Look at the context of Alex Anthopoulos' tenure. If John Coppola and John Hart don't disgrace the organization, there's a good chance they hire a new manager after the 2017 season. Anthopoulos comes in, and he pulled a miracle five weeks on the job. He got Matt Kemp's money off the books by trading him back to the Dodgers, and I still don't know how he did that. And that was just the first brush stroke on this portrait of greatness that Alex Anthopoulos has engineered, and I know there's been times where fans have been like, well, package up three of the top six prospects, go get Jose Ramirez, or throw all the money at Trevor Bauer, or throw all the money at at Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon. But Alex Anthopoulos has learned his lessons from his time in Toronto as general manager, from his time serving in the Dodgers front office, and he has put on a master class. I don't know 
you know, longtime Braves fans talk about the Braves acquiring Fred McGriff at the trade deadline in 1993, which sparked that comeback against the Giants to win the NL West. But I don't know if there's ever been a general manager, not just in baseball, and this may sound like hyperbole, but in any of the major American professional sports that have transformed the franchise at the trading deadline the way Alex Anthopoulos did. Let me say it again. The Braves were at 500 or under 500 for four months. They were on basically their fifth and sixth string outfielders on the depth chart at the start of the season in July. And now we're talking about them as World Series champs. It's incredible the job that Anthopolis has done. He should never have to buy a beer or a mixed drink in the state of Georgia again. Uh, definitely not. Uh, Bud Ellis, Braves Wire, joining us here on 3 and Out. And, and, Bud, I've said it on this show. I said, hey, do we all owe Will Smith an apology? And maybe most of that bullpen because, again, you talk about A.J. Mentor had to be sit da- sent down. Luke Jackson, the reliever everybody loves to loathe. And Will Smith, who everybody's like, could he work a clean inning in the ninth, please? And all of a sudden, along with Tyler Matzik, they become this thing called the night shift, where it's like, oh, we'll just run him out there and it's going to be done. I mean, it, it's amazing to see how the narrative changed around that group of four guys, three of whom made people nervous up until about two months ago when they came in the game. When, when you talk about the way narratives have shifted and evolved with this team over the past three months, perhaps the biggest one for me is the thought of going into postseason games and being like, and the Braves patch it together through five innings because if they have a lead after five, they win the game. I mean, it reminds me of the old Cincinnati Reds nasty boys bullpen that won the World Series in 1990, or some of the great Yankee bullpens back-ended by the Hall of Famer Mariano Rivera. I mean, I mean, it's remarkable. I mean, A.J. Minter went to the minors. He found his cutter. He's worked on his changeup, and he stayed aggressive. Tyler Matzik, we all know the story with him and the yips and being out of baseball, the way that he's come back. Luke Jackson was sent to the minors four or five times over the course of one baseball season just three years ago, and people wanted to run him out of town. And then, of course, Will Smith could not put a clean inning together for the better part of two months to end the season. And then he turns into Mariano Rivera when the calendar turned to October. I mean, again, you talk about unprecedented, magical, enchanting things. The bullpen ranks right up there because without the bullpen – this team might not win a playoff series, let alone win the whole thing and be getting ready for a parade on Friday. But something we were talking about earlier, uh, Freddie Freeman, already one of the all-time great Atlanta Braves, but now with an MVP and then you add a World Series title, are we talking about a, a Hall of Fame player in, in Freddie Freeman? Well, certainly when you're putting together a case for a player to be enshrined in Cooperstown, there's certain things that you look for. And I think – whether it's fair or whether it's not, and certainly you don't have to have it. Ernie Banks never played in the World Series. Phil Necro never played in the World Series, just two of many examples. Winning a World Series is definitely something that you look for. For me, I know being in the stadium when he hit the homer off Josh Hader in the eighth inning of Game 4 of the Division Series that vaulted the Braves into the National League Championship Series, for me at that moment I thought, you know what, that's a Hall of Fame moment right there by a Hall of Fame player. Certainly, Freddie just turned 32 years old. He plays a position where I think his skills are going to be able to age pretty gracefully. And, no, I don't have any trepidation at all about him becoming a free agent technically today. I think he's back with Atlanta. I wouldn't be surprised if that deal is already, quote-unquote, done. 
But when I look at Freddie Freeman, I think about a guy who he probably needs to play another four or five years at a high level. But I tell you what, what he's done the past two or three years in particular, the way he's elevated himself, an MVP award in 2020, and then the job that he did this year, and how fitting that he hit that home run last night, guys. I mean, he has become this generation's Chipper Jones. Chipper's in the Hall of Fame. Freddie's definitely on that trajectory to join Chipper in Cooperstown someday. And but I know you talked about it when you first came on, but when it when it when, I mean when they finally get that last out, Freddie Free, I mean Freddie Freeman, a guy that doesn't really show his emotion a lot, but what 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 type of feeling goes through Bud Ellis? I mean, obviously you know about this Braves team's top to bottom, and a lot of times we find ourselves to us Braves fans, you know, uh, you know, really like getting people off the Braves. Like, listen, just because they haven't won the World Series doesn't mean they want not one of the most storied franchises in MLB history. But when that final out happens, Bud, and you look at it, I mean, what is what is Bud Ellis feeling in the moment? Well. Being able to take my two boys to World Series games this weekend was a dream come true. And, and the folks who know me on the coast remember my boys being toddlers, and they're 19 and 18 now. But, you know, being, you know, my, my youngest son running down and hugging me and high-fiving me, and my oldest son calling me from work, you know, sobbing as I'm sobbing, that's what it was. It's the ultimate moment, you know. You know, fathers and sons, fathers and daughters, mothers and sons and daughters, and generations that's what sports does it brings us together it links the generations it links us regardless of our economic status or our race or our education sports is a grand unifier and last night all the emotions came out the tears the happiness the just appreciation of after 26 years they finally did it and ben i hope they don't wait 26 more because i'll be 74 at the next one i'd like to experience this again sooner <laughs> rather than later feeling it's been the day absolutely but ellis our guest here on the three dot but always a pleasure my friend we'll talk soon thanks so much all right boys take care appreciate it but ellis our guest here on three dot braves are the world series champions we'll come back we got much more to come college football did its thing last night first playoff rankings were out chris hummer 247 sports going to join us we'll talk about that next here on three and out on this wednesday kevin bj and ben amidst all the world series celebrating the college football playoff committee did put out their first rankings georgia alabama two michigan state three oregon four Again, this is just week one, but followed by Ohio State, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma, Wake Forest, and Notre Dame. So, quick look at the top. We'll have Chris Chris Hummer, excuse me, BJ247 Sports, uh, joining us here in just a moment. But your initial thoughts on that? Uh, doesn't look good for Cincinnati. I think Cincinnati, if you're where you are now, it's hard to uh, envision them getting into the playoff. We have Chris Hummer, 247 Sports, uh, joining us. Chris, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Hey, yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I mean, I think we all knew Georgia was going to be number one, but uh, what stood out to you there of the first college football playoff rankings? I think there was two things. The first was um, committee chair Gary Barta saying Alabama was a consensus number two team. I think that says a lot about how the committee views Alabama and Georgia, a pretty clear one-two in the country despite Alabama having a loss in their resume. So moving forward, as long as Alabama takes care of business, and beats Georgia or plays Georgia close in the SEC championship game, I think there's a good chance both of those teams get in. Secondarily, Cincinnati being at number six, I think is a huge blow to the Bearcats' chances. Their schedule isn't as difficult as the rest of the teams around them in the playoff rankings, and seeing them be able to jump from six to four seems pretty much impossible at this point. 
without just a ton of chaos happening nationally. And Chris, we heard for a while with uh, mid-major or, or, or G5 programs, okay, you have to go out of conference. You have to have a big win outside of your league. Well, Cincinnati won by multiple scores at Notre Dame, who's still in the top 10. How is that not enough to at least have them a spot or two higher in these first rankings? Yeah, I totally agree. And if you look at Cincinnati's average scoring margin, which I think is a really good way to indicate how dominant a team's been, it just means how much they win by every week. Cincinnati ranks third nationally behind Alabama and Ohio State. So that means they're not just winning, they're winning convincingly. Both their wins over Power 5 opponents came on the road. Both of those wins came by double digits. I fully, I, I personally think Cincinnati should have ranked higher. But I think the committee is just going to continue to lean on the idea that they don't play a more difficult enough schedule. Um, say what you will about that. Uh, Cincinnati's strength of schedule per ESPN is 100th. I believe Ohio State was 87th. And Ohio State ranked ahead of them with one loss. So I, I don't know how much that holds weight or carries water, but Gary Barda said last year that it would take a schedule like BYU's to make the playoff from a group of five teams' perspective, and BYU plays five power five teams. So they're essentially saying the group of five is going to be shut out because their schedules physically cannot have that many group of five programs on it, which is kind of unfortunate. How, how much of this has to do with just national appeal? I mean, I know we talk about Cincinnati, and obviously we dive into the numbers. We understand how good – and Cincinnati is not good as of this year. Obviously played um, Georgia really, really close last year in the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. But how much of this has to do with who has been a usual suspect and who just has that national appeal to kind of make it so that the college football playoff uh, committee kind of looks good in these rankings? Yeah, I don't want to speculate like a, on a conspiracy theory that the committee's picking names for the brand names, but I, I certainly think brand names create biases. Like Alabama, I think it's the benefit of the doubt every year because it's Alabama, and Alabama's been what Alabama's been the last decade. Ohio State, the same way. We see it as well with Georgia. We see it with Clemson when they were good. Those teams just kind of get the benefit of the doubt every year. Oklahoma, to an extent as well, um, they ranked eighth, which was kind of surprising, but they've kind of gotten that as well. Um, a brand like Cincinnati just doesn't have that. I, I thought they would carry more of it this year uh, based on the way they played Georgia last year and the way they went through that schedule. But it's quite clear that the perception of the group of five is significantly different than the perception of the power five. And it's almost impossible for a group of five team to overcome that. And Alabama and teams like that will continue to benefit while teams like Cincinnati are going to be largely shut out of the process. And, and yeah, Chris, it's kind of strange. As you said, Alabama, I appreciate what Alabama has done, uh, but Alabama has a loss. Michigan State just had a top 10 win and is undefeated and is behind Alabama. I mean, I think a lot of folks look at that and say, well, you have a Power 5 team that's undefeated in Alabama who lost on the road, uh, mind you, to a good Texas A&M team. Also, Texas A&M team that has a couple of losses already. How do, how do you kind of square that in your mind? Yeah, I think... In a lot of cases, it's an argument of most deserving versus best. And we, as the college football community, often look at most deserving because I think that's the metric that makes the most sense, right? Like, you play the games for a reason. You play championship games for a reason. Like, these things happen. Losses occur. Like, there's no way Ohio State should rank ahead of Oregon because that game happened. And I tend to agree. Michigan State should have probably ranked ahead of Alabama. They were more deserving. But the committee's determined that they go by best, and that is what's in the rule book for the committee and how they go about that process. And they think Alabama is the best team among those two. I tend to agree. I think on a neutral field, Alabama would be favored by at least a touchdown over Michigan State. Alabama is a better football team than Michigan State, and that's how the committee approaches it. But 
at some point, I think deserving has to matter, and it clearly was not a factor last night between those two teams. Yeah, and Chris, I, I guess my, my point with, with, with that would be, are you setting up a situation of you already have Alabama ahead of teams that haven't lost. I mean, they're probably going to be favored in the rest of their games this season. I mean, the only team I think that might get them, you know, could maybe in Auburn in the Iron Bowl, but if Alabama wins that, they're going to the SEC championship game. I mean, are you setting it up where if Alabama wins or loses, if they're already number two, if they lose close to Georgia with two losses, are they really going to fall out of the top four? I mean. Yeah, I agree. I'm of the opinion of two-loss Alabama. If it's like a one-score game in the SEC championship game, probably gets in. Obviously, it really it really will matter what happens in the other conferences. I think a one-loss Big Ten champion is going to get in over a two-loss Alabama. An undefeated Oklahoma is probably going to get in over a two-loss Alabama, but I, I can't guarantee a one-loss Alabama or Oklahoma would get in over Alabama. I certainly can't guarantee a one-loss Wake Forest would get in over Alabama as a two-loss team. So I do think there's a scenario in which a two-loss Alabama gets into the playoff because they are giving Alabama the benefit of the doubt now and a close game against Georgia, a consensus number one team for the committee, shouldn't hurt Alabama's chances by their kind of metrics and standards. So I certainly think it's plausible a two-loss Alabama gets in the playoff. And going back to what you said, you know, most deserving versus best Chris we've talked about that a good bit I mean in some ways by leaning more to the best distinction instead of most deserving are you are you sort of I guess nullifying results in a certain in a certain extent because it kind of makes it as if the loss to Texas A&M for Alabama doesn't really matter and if 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 that's the case kind of isn't that anti-evaluation kind of in its own right isn't that kind of the opposite of what's supposed to be going on here yeah, I mean, I, I tend to agree. Like on-field results should matter, should matter above all. But the committee, the committee, the way it sorts teams, puts them essentially in a little pods. They go four by four by four by four, and then they determine who's the best teams out of those four. They rank them. They move on to the next four, the group of pods, and they go on down. And the committee clearly determined uh, one loss Alabama is more is a better team than Michigan State at this point. I can see how they came to that conclusion. Michigan State's had a lot of close games this year. Like, they should have probably lost to Nebraska. Michigan State almost got beat by Indiana on the road. Michigan State should have lost to Michigan last Saturday. So while Michigan State is undefeated, they have some cracks. You could certainly argue right back at me, Alabama has a crack, and then that it lost to Texas A&M, but the committee clearly thought that uh, Alabama was – a better team in that metric. I don't agree. I think most deserving should factor into this equation, but it's just not how the committee looks at it. With that being said, I mean, uh, with November, uh, you know, here, and obviously you got some big games coming up, what has to happen for Cincinnati outside of what they can control to have even a shot to be one of the last four teams standing? A lot has to happen. Um, Cincinnati has to blow everybody out the rest of the way. Like, that's a huge thing for them. They have to hope SMU and Houston both get ranked. So that means SMU and Houston basically running the table outside of the games against um, Cincinnati that they play. SMU and Houston not being ranked in the top 25 last night I thought was really harmful to Cincinnati as well because they don't have any top 25 games ahead of them while everybody else in the top 10 does. Um, They're also going to have to root for some chaos. Georgia's going to have to beat Alabama by a lot in the SEC championship game, assuming status quo gets to that point. Um, you need Oklahoma probably to lose a game, maybe even two games. You need Wake Forest to lose at least a game. Um, it would help if the Big Ten East kind of ate each other. Maybe Penn State figures out a way to upset uh, Michigan State. Michigan State knocks off Ohio State. 
or Michigan knocks off Ohio State. Like Cincinnati needs a lot of help. Chris, finally, uh, in our neck of the woods, college football news, Clay Helton going to have an introductory press conference tomorrow in Statesboro. Uh, talk about that move. we got, again, about uh, a minute uh, for Georgia Southern, bringing Clay Helton in, former Southern Cal coach. Yeah, Los Angeles to Statesboro is quite a quite a shift in environment for sure. But um, Georgia Southern, I know, really wanted kind of a CEO head coach, somebody who knows how to run a program, has done so successfully before. And say what you will about Clay Elton and some of his flaws. He did take USC to a Rose Bowl. USC did win a Pac-12 championship under him. He is one of the most liked coaches in the country. I've not really met anybody who dislikes Clay Elton. He is universally respected in that regard. So I think it's a good hire. It's an interesting hire. It's a steady hire. I think the most intriguing element of that is it really indicates Georgia Southern is going to move away from the option. Um, I know Clay Helton will probably be able to talk about that tomorrow, but I would be shocked if Clay Helton's still running the triple. And that just brings Georgia Southern into a new era of kind of college athletics and college offense. And I'll be very intrigued to see how that transition will go because you're gonna it's going to be rough at first. Like you need different pieces to run a system outside the option. So it'll it'll be really intriguing to see how the first couple of years under Clay Helton is. Chris Hummer, 247 Sports, our guest. Chris, we appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Thanks so much. And we've got more to come here on 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin. Good to have you back here, 3 and Out. Braves World Series champions. We'll chat with Dale Murphy, BJ, and Ben. Coming up in the final hour of the program, Braves legend. Looking forward to that conversation. It's one of your, your favorite players growing up, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That was one of the first stars of the Braves that I remember, BJ, was uh, was watching number three. Yeah, an all-time great and excited to get his perspective. I mean, I want to go back to something Bud said at the start of the interview because I kind of feel the same way, even though we've been talking about it and celebrate. It's kind of surreal, right? Just given that not that long ago, like you said, Kev, the Braves season is over and can't get over 500. Has it, has it fully kind of settled in your mind that the Braves are World Series champs? Because I don't think so for me. Yeah, it did so a little bit this morning. Like, last night I was like, man, this is unbelievable. And it took me a while to calm down and go to sleep. And when I fell asleep, I slept great, and it was awesome. And then this morning I got up and I started watching all the interviews with the players last night. And I was like, man, got a little, uh, got a little emotional as long as I've been watching this team, you know, going way back to – I won't say the 70s because I was like one and two years old, so that doesn't count. But certainly going all the way back to the 80s when I could remember watching, you know, Braves baseball and all the times I've watched with my dad and my granddad and all this, all the times coming up. And then here you are uh, in yet another World Series moment that only happened twice uh, in my lifetime that the Braves have won. It's uh, truly unbelievable. And I was like, man, what a special, special time, and especially this group that most of us, and I would say, Myself included, probably left on the side of the road back there in July when Ronald Acuna tore his ACL. We'll come back. Final hour of the program. Dale Murphy will join us as well here on 3 and Out all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Hit us up. Good to have you 3 and Out. Kevin, BJ, and Ben, final hour of the program. Dale Murphy going to join us. Braves legend, two-time NL MVP, 82-83, going to join us. And again, if you are a, a fan of the Braves for a long time, you certainly know Dale Murphy, and uh, we'll hear from him coming up here, BJ, in just a little bit. But amazing to watch this thing uh, end up the way it did for Atlanta. Again, we've said it so many times, left on the side of the road by a lot of folks who thought 
And again, most diehard Braves fans just looking at it optimistically saying, this is a Braves team, and we probably said it on this show, can't get out of its own way, can't put together a, a long enough win streak to get above 500, and now your superstar, or at least one of them, your rising, budding superstar in Ronald Acuna just went down and people were talking about selling because the Mets and the Phillies were ahead of you. And Alex Anthopoulos said, nope, I still believe we can get it done I'm going to go out and make some moves and was able to make four big moves for virtually not much, not much at all. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the key point, Kevin, when you look at all these moves, everybody's talking about the deadline moves and understandably so, but you didn't have to give up the normal equity of, of prospects or whatever it is, uh, a, a current major league player, whatever the package is. Normally when you significantly upgrade your team that time of year, it's, hey, you're going to give up a veteran and maybe two or three of your top 15 prospects. And Atlanta didn't have to do that. But correct me if I'm wrong. I want to, I want to go through some of these things. When you look at uh, the, the additions of Adam Duvall, Jock Peterson, Eddie Rosario, and Jorge Soler. Duvall ended up being the National League RBI leader for the entire season and hit a grand slam in the World Series. Peterson was maybe the catalyst for, for your confidence and the, the, the belief within the clubhouse that, hey, even with some of the injury, we can still win this. And I believe he was the NLDS MVP. And then when you look at Rosario, the most hits in the postseason, all kinds of records, the NLCS MVP, and then Solaire, the World Series MVP. So not only did everybody you add come in and just do great things and lead you to where you ended up going, they made history along the way. I mean, Kevin, how do you explain, Ben, how do you explain all of these guys coming in having kind of a shared responsibility where some days you're, you're, you're starting, some days you're not, you're in there, you're batting second, you're batting fifth, and you had career finishes and history made all the way through. I think you got to give Alex Anthopoulos a lot of credit for him having a baseball eye. I think, I think too often at times we, we blame the GM when it doesn't work and we don't give him enough praise when it does work. And Alex Anthopoulos understands that just picking and just picking players, you got to be able to add guys to the culture. But BJ, no, no, we've gone too long on this show. No, 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 no. Kevin will not get off the hook. Okay. Now, I always say this when it comes to things in sports. BJ, when we were always talking about the refs, there was a certain game that happened a couple of years ago that you, you saw me and said, I don't want to talk about the game. Before I say you said, I don't want to talk about the game. Kevin, the baseball principal, <laughs> who will say, listen, Jorge Soler got sent to the office. They said, somebody said, we, we send the whole, hey, so Larry so up there to see you, Kevin. He walks in and Kevin goes, that you right there? Yeah. So you so you looking at people when you hitting home runs? Yeah. That's how you feel? Yeah. Now, usually, young man, you know, I'll give you more than just a slap on the wrist. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it go this time. Now, Kevin, mister, you don't stare at our pictures. You don't watch. You don't watch. Listen, does it count? He didn't stare at the picture. He looked at his teammate. He did, yeah. I was just saying. It is hot dog. It awesome. it, it, it's it still incredible. hot dog, BJ. Kevin, do you give Solaire a pass because he represents your brain? Yeah, he did not bat flip. He bat dropped. <laughs> and he did not stare down the pitcher. He looked back at the dugout and was pumping up. So in that moment, there was a, a modicum of decorum. Uh, there, no, it was a great moment. I just want to say this, BJ. In that moment, everybody's going bananas because that was probably one of the hardest hit baseballs I've ever seen. And I heard this call today. Does this sound like a hard hit baseball to you? Just listen. When it's all said and done, hold on. Let me get it. I gotta get it pulled up. Does this sound like a hard hit baseball to you? 
And that was ESPN Deportes last night. Uh, you know, going off and again, yeah, it was absolute crushed. Look, I am again. I think it's more of not showing up the other pitcher. I don't know that he did that in that moment. It's one thing, and again, there is a difference between what he did and what Joey Bats did in Toronto, where you're staring at a pitcher, you're throwing the bat, and it's like, hey, look, you got me. He was. I know it's gone. And I'm turning around telling my teammates, we're doing this thing. And I think that was a big catalyst. Again, here's a Braves Radio Network call of that, that one last night, BJ. There they go. Pitch on the way. He attacks and smokes one to deep left. This one's going supersonic. That is out of the ballpark. Whoa! Over the train tracks, it's 3-0 Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, crushed. crushed. And Jorge yeah, I mean... Soler lands the first punch here on the top of the third inning. And again, I, you talk about... Different calls. That was Ben Ingram on the Braves Radio Network. A lot of people said, you said this earlier on the show. When that happened, you thought it was over. Because that was just a dagger in the Houston has to win. It's the bottom or the top of the third. And you're pitching pretty well for the most part. And then just a 3-1 rocket shot by Jorge Soler. Yeah, both awesome calls because you can just, you know, you can just feel the energy of, of, of that second, that moment. I told you guys, yeah, when when Solaire swung the bat and that and that connection happened, you felt it, right? I mean, that was one of those moments that was bigger than just that's a long home run. That was a statement in a series where, yeah, and, and I love the reaction. That's fun. That's 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 energy. That's excitement. That's the atmosphere. In a series where it felt like Houston maybe had a little momentum to and Remember, not just a solo home run. That was a three-run home run, right? So you're talking about a real uh, uh, game-changing moment. But when he hit that, I thought, the series is over. Because that's one of those electrifying plays that resonates with your team, resonates with the other team. There was a different kind of scene in Houston after that. I mean, yeah, just 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 hearing that, you know, brings back that memory from last night, hearing those calls of, Wow. You know, that was the first thought. Wow. And the Braves are going to do this. The Braves are going to do it. <sighs> well, when, listen, when Solaire hit that thing, I mean, they, they, you know, you got the, you know, you got the memes or whatever. They show some guy, you know, he's obviously is a, he's a lifelong Braves fan. He goes, oh, man, they're going to do it again. I mean, uh, Solaire about to strike. Boom. He goes, it's, it's like he yells, let's go. It's like Solaire, like when you talk about being ready for the moment, it's like T.O. already being able to, you know, pull out the cell phone when he scored a touchdown. Because I'm, I'm preparing myself for this moment. When he hit it, he knew his bad, if you haven't seen it, has evidence. He looks at his teammates and says, I'm here. Like, people, that is sports. Because obviously everything goes viral now. But, hey, man, beautiful thing, beautiful thing. It, it was, again, I think you talk about the early portion of the uh, – Early portion of the ball game, Max Freed gets stepped on, could have broken his ankle, BJ. And then, as we heard Fred uh, Fred Owens say, he was a different Max Freed from that point. You kind of saw the fire go in his eyes, and he was like, "I'm a I'm a rabid dog looking for some meat here, and I'm I'm not going to let them beat me." Gets out of a huge jam in the first inning, and that kind of set the tone because I think. As, as a Braves fan, you're sitting there going, okay, the first hit was Altuve up the, uh, you know, kind of in the deep hole at short. Okay, a weak ground ball, and here we go. 
right? And then you have that play at first for Michael Brantley. Steps on Freed's foot, not on the bag, and could have lost Max Freed. If Max Freed can't go from there, it's a completely different ball game. And you're thinking, okay, this is how it's going to go two batters in. And you get out of it with no runs, and you kind of saw Max Freed lock in. You're like, okay, this is going to be a dogfight this game. And then the Solaire home run, and Max Freed was giving up nothing uh, on, the, on the pitching side of things. And he had a real tempo too, right? I, that's what was impressive and noticeable for Max Freed is that not only was he attacking hitters, you know, sometimes I don't know if there's a correlation between tempo and kind of confidence when you're a starting pitcher, but I thought he was getting the ball and going and, you know, really seemed to be aggressive in where he wanted to place the ball, how fast he wanted to go, didn't want to give the batter time to settle in. And I thought that was something that was was a positive sign for Max, just watching him not only settle in and find his rhythm, but do so with a purpose and with a pace. So I thought that was something that stood out to me uh, about Max Free. But yeah, I mean, it's it, it's amazing the moments. You think about, you know, Freeman. You think about, of course, Solaire. But uh, Max Freed also uh, setting the tone early in a in a set of circumstances where Houston could have got on the board and maybe grabbed that early momentum, Free gets out of it, and that was a that was a huge huge turning point even right away for Atlanta. For those of you who don't think momentum matters, matters, matters when you talk when about when you talk about, about, you talk about baseball, baseball, my apologies. Yeah, I'm just I'm just all over the place, Kevin. Kevin. Well, but but hold on. Uh oh. Uh oh. There we go. And now for now for those for those of you who think that uh, momentum doesn't matter, if Matt if that's a regular season game. And he gets stepped on at first play, at first base, Kevin. They probably take him out. Like, no, you have to come out. He stayed in, and he said, "Oh, that's how we play it now." I'm telling y'all, it's it's something about the World Series and the moment. I tell people this all the time. Look, man, I don't regular season. You like, I don't know if I can go. Like I said, I got to play in the playoffs one time. Boscape has his spleen. Yeah, he, he got to separate. He, you know, he got to he got to separate his spleen from getting a hit. I got I got I got I got concussed in that game, and I had to play next week. It wasn't no, hey Ben, can you play? True, what he's he's literally doesn't have a spleen. Do you know who you are? I think I do. You're on the plane going to San Diego to play the Chargers. Max Free got stepped on, and he goes, all right, that's they trying to take me out. That was all the motivation. It's so many storylines in this game, Kevin and BJ. Like I said, BJ. I don't know who's going to play Solaire when this movie comes out. Probably going to be, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know. Probably going to have to get, you know, Michael B. Jordan or somebody. But I'm just saying, you hit a home run, and instead of looking at it, no, I'm looking at them saying, I'm here. And Kevin was like, Kevin said, listen, he didn't bat flip. He didn't show him up. <laughs> I mean, what? He's trying to call when hypocrisy on me here, here, The outside, the, the, you know, the outside rules, the unwritten rules of baseball, he didn't violate any of them. And they and they won the game. And I'm sorry, man. I'm I'm I got to go to this. I got to put on my front runner shoe, my bias shoes. And it says here he plays for the Braves. He gets a pass. He's the uh, I can't I can't uh you know suspend the World Series MVP. He's here. He's just announced in a different way. And his bat, you know, has has the divot in it to show. Oh yeah. BJ's trying to uh, <laughs> to call me out on hypocrisy. That was your whole goal of the show today. <laughs> I just look, man. I just wanted to see what you were gonna say because normally you come in and go, "Oh man, I don't, I don't like the celebration." That was awesome. That was an amazing moment. No, I don't. I don't mind the celebration. I don't like the show. The the show me, especially because I I just feel that baseball is such a humbling game, uh, where it's like, hey, I got on top. 
and the the odds say you're going to be on bottom seven out of ten uh, at the very least. So it, it kind of has a way of coming back around. But in that moment, it was just pure joy. And again, he didn't do the big bat flip. He just kind of dropped it, turned around, and looked at the dugout. It was like, here we go. Like we we're, we're going to finish this thing off. So uh, look, I, what a moment that was. And from that moment, BJ, I didn't quite feel secure that it was completely done, especially after we saw the Astros come back from Duvall's Grand Slam, but I thought it was heading in the right direction. Then you get the Dansby home run, and Freddie Freeman drives one in with a double, and then, of course, you get the Freddie Freeman homer uh, to kind of put the icing on top of the cake, and it was uh, totally magical. Uh, the way it ended for the Braves, that Freddie gets a homer, he catches the the, the last out from Dansby, and, and the Braves are world champions, man. It was, just, it was pretty much everything... I think you could ask for as a Braves fan in that moment last night. We'll come back. We'll talk to a, a, a big legend, Dale Murphy. He'll join us when we World Series champions get it done in six games over the Houston Astros last night. And a lot of folks finally getting that much awaited World Series uh, ring upcoming uh, their way. And uh, joining us here on the program, a Braves legend, two-time National League MVP, five-time Gold Glove Award winner, four-time Silver Slugger, led the National League in home runs in 84 and 85. NL RBI leader in 82 and 83. Braves legend number three, Dale Murphy, uh, joining us here on 3 and Out. Uh, Dale, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, today I'm doing fantastic. Absolutely great. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we appreciate you coming on. And, and, Dale, I know you've been around the Braves, the game of baseball, a long time. When you lose a guy like Ronald Acuna, and you're already kind of middling around in terms of the standings uh, right there at the All-Star break. A lot of folks thought this team was done. They make some moves at the trade deadline. They all work, and here the Braves are, uh, World Series champion. Have you ever seen anything quite like the story that the uh, 2021 Atlanta Braves put out there? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, the the key thing is you talked about the trades that work, uh, they did work. The scouts scouted these trades before they happened. They they said, let's do this. Yeah, certainly there's a human element. Things don't always work out, but this worked out. Uh, good scouting, uh, good decisions by Alex Anthopoulos in the front office, and, you know, it worked out. But credit, again, that these things aren't just, you know, they're just not flipping coins. They're making decisions, putting their reputations on the line that we should do these trades. And, uh, and so credit the scouting, uh, the scouts of the Atlanta Braves that are recommending who to trade for, and the front office. You know, the, the, they recognize that the Eastern Division was still up for grabs uh, and that they shouldn't be sellers. They said, we want to be buyers, and that they still had a shot at winning the division. So, yeah, it, I mean, it worked out. There's no question about it, but that's, that's the whole point. is you, you, It's not going to work out if you don't go for it. And they went for it, and sure enough, worked out great. The two MVPs in the League Championship Series uh, and the World Series were trade deadline moves, Rosario and Soler. So, unreal moves. Just unreal. Dan, when you look at how much fun it seems like this team has together, that has to be something that makes you feel good. I mean, the hardest thing about any team is not necessarily those guys going out there and performing, but those guys loving each other, believing each other, playing for each other. I get the sense that that's what this 2021 team did better than anybody in the league this year. Absolutely, they are playing for each other. They're they're having as much fun as the Savannah Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, they certainly are. Dale, again, Freddie Freeman gets the World Series ring uh, last night. And the, I look back through the, the annals of Braves history, and you, he wears that mantle of it's, it's the Braves. The Braves are his team, so to speak, if you get what I'm saying. The Chipper Jones, back to the Glavin and Maddox, and then even you in the 80s, kind of the face of the franchise. How, how much goes with being that face of the franchise and carrying that around with you year in, year out, and then obviously finally being able to deliver on something like a World Series? Wow. I mean, you know, uh, of course, I, I, I can't relate to it. Never got to a World Series, but so happy for Freddie. He's, uh, he's a loyal member of the Atlanta Braves organization. Like he said, you know, they gave me a shot to, to you know, uh, you know, have my dream come true to play in the big leagues. And then, you know, he helped them get to the World Series and, and win it. So, uh, I'm just, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, but I think, obviously, I'm like everybody else. I hope they sign him. I think they'll sign him. Uh, I don't really anticipate too much of a problem. There might be occasionally where we're like, what's the problem? But I think they'll get it worked out. Dale, when you when you think about, uh, you know, what uh, Max Freed was able to do last night, obviously wasn't, wasn't pitching his best up until last night. But when you – you know, what happened at first base, usually if a guy gets stepped on, whether it's a pitcher or not, that 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 player usually leaves the game. He seemed to get motivated after that. He ended up going out there and obviously pitching lights out. Yeah, you're right. It was a scary situation. And and you're right. Usually when you get stepped on or turn an ankle, it, it's an awkward situation for a, a pitcher to always cover first base, especially when it's that close and the, the, the runner's trying to beat you to it and guys get tangled up. So, yeah, I think he just, uh, you know, uh, started out a little frustrated and just, you know, dug down deep within himself and said, yeah, it was kind of maybe a wake-up call, like you said. He's like, okay, look, I, I'm going to turn this around. I don't want to get stepped on one way or another. Dale Murphy joining us here on 3 and Out. And, Dale, you look at the way the, the series was played, I guess just baseball in general, where – uh, you look at the Braves team of the 90s, it was Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz. You knew the starting pitching. The Braves just won a World Series where one of their starting pitchers got hurt in the second inning, and they pitched two games essentially without a starter, kind of an opener. And uh, just the way the game is played, that uh, it would be hard to think 20 years ago uh, a team would go to a World Series and say, well, you really ended the series with two starters that could start the game and pitch, and that was it. Yeah, it's a completely different game. You're right, 20 years ago, you would never be able to figure out. I mean, they, there was no such thing, no term as uh, a bullpen game. You know, it was like, no, we're just going to you know, throw throw our whole bullpen at you and see what sticks. I mean, that would have sounded crazy 20 years ago. But now it's a strategy. Now they have to do it, and especially when Charlie Morton went down. And, and uh, Astros had to do it, too. I mean, it's just they use a lot more pitchers uh, than they did 20 years ago. So, you know shorter starts the bullpen is a you know has to be is a key part of your team obviously it's always been that way but more so now and this bullpen for the Atlanta Braves was just lights out there were so many storylines with this team I mean from the guys uh you know at the trade deadline coming up big in the playoffs to you know you got the night shift how well the uh the bullpen played to I mean, Freddie Freeman finally getting that uh, that World Series. What is going to stand out the most to you about this 2021 Braves team? Oh, that's a good question. So many things stand out. I think uh, 
Uh, probably the things that happened latest. Uh, I think that Ian, Ander start, Ian Anderson start that he no hit the uh, Astros for five innings, and uh, the Freddie Freeman home run in the um, division series, I think, and uh, then that last home run by Freddie Freeman. Oh, and the catch by Rosario in left field. Yeah, those are things I'll never forget. Yeah, those are uh, unbelievable moments uh, that that you see, and uh, again to see this team celebrate uh, last night, Dale. It's uh, and you look around, and yeah, we talk about the trade deadline pieces, but a lot of their key pieces are still young guys uh, here in this organization. And the the, the future, uh, you can't ever chalk anything up, but the future looks pretty good with guys like Acuna and others who are just on the ascension of of their baseball career. Yeah, it does look good. They're going to have some tough decisions to make. Your outfielders all of a sudden, outfield's going to get a little crowded now with the guys they signed. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in spring training. But, no, the nucleus is young. The pitching is young. Uh, Charlie Morton doesn't ever seem to age. He's 37, but he's still throwing, you know, mid to high 90s. Uh, uh, just, yeah, you got to love this team, where they're sitting, and I think there's there's uh, a lot of good years ahead next you know, you can't ever predict, but the next five years should be really good, too. Dale, I mean, it's been a long time. And I, and I know when it comes to these Braves, we live and die with them. We, we argue with our family members, you know, at, you know, at uh, and holiday dinners over them. But when you think about when you think about Alice Anthopoulos and Snit, Snit, a guy that's been with the organization a long time. Nobody saw this with this marriage coming together four years ago, right? Well, probably nobody saw it. Uh, in July, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, if if you saw this coming in July, you you, you know you you would be able to uh, make a lot more money doing something else uh, uh, because uh, you know. But we also got to remember they they had a three one lead on the Dodgers last year, COVID season, to go to the World Series. They won the division a few years, um, but uh, the, the the thing that where it, it probably put everything in doubt was midseason, not being able to get over 500, and then Acuna's injury, uh, Soroka's injury, the thing with Ozuna. You know, everything just kind of looked against him. And so, uh, but that, you know, all the cliches are true. You know, that's why they play the game. That's that's why you got to go out there and see what happens. And the Braves got it done in a big way uh, last night. Dale Murphy, Braves legend, joining us here on 3 and Out. Dale, really appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Dale Murphy joining us here on 3 and Outs of Braves. World Series champion, and Dale, just an absolute uh, uh, legend of the Braves. And you, you talk about that. I kind of asked him about it. He said, well, look, Freddie went to World Series and won it. I didn't get to with, with the Braves. But, Ben, speak to that as, as an athlete, and, and, and maybe you haven't worn that kind of mantle on you, but when people deem you the face of the franchise, and especially in baseball, they see you every single day. It's not like football. Hey, we see Tom Brady on Sundays. They see you every day. Uh, in, in Major League Baseball. And Dale Murphy was one of those guys in the 80s. And then Smoltz, Glavin, uh, became, became those guys. Chipper Jones became the face of the franchise. And he kind of handed that over to, to Freddie Freeman to be the guy that's wearing that as you're the guy that we're looking to. You're the face of the franchise. And I know you can't just say, well, bring us the championship. But to wear that as when it comes to the Atlanta Braves – at least right now in this moment in history, when you say the Atlanta Braves, your name is the next one that comes out of people's mouths, or that's the image that people come to. What's it like carrying that? And what's, what must it be like for Freddie Freeman to say, look, I've been with this organization a long time, and I've seen it at the bottom. I've seen it building, seen it building, seen it building, and we were finally able to get it done. It's unique. 
Because, like you said, Kevin, I've never – the closest I've ever come to being that person was with my senior year in college, and that's because I went to the University of Florida, and we didn't have – Chris Leak was a true freshman. I was a, I was a senior trying to, trying to help this team. But Freddie Freeman, another thing to, to add, I mean, he did it in the social media era to where <laughs> everything is even more magnified because every single thing he does. But this is what you remember, love the most about Freddie. Win the game, lose the game, he's a professional. Win the game, lose the game, he's not critical of nobody. Win the game, lose the game, he's not bulletin board material. He's a silent superstar. But Freddie Freeman was a baller when the Braves weren't good as a team. Freddie Freeman didn't make waves when they got this phenom named Ronald Acuna Jr. Freddie Freeman just went out there and did his job. He's kind of, you know, I mean, uh, and, when, and, when you, and when you think about it, Kevin, the type of guy that wants to play every day, he's not looking for a reason to not play. And, Obviously, if you've, if you've seen Freddie Freeman's story, man, you can't root for him as a player. You can definitely root for him as a person. But that's what's, that's what's not noticed about Freddie Freeman is he has the interview every day, no matter what. Freddie, 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 Freddie. And he understands. I'm not, listen, while, while Ronald Acuna Jr. is the future of this team, the heart and soul, as you say, Kevin, is Freddie Freeman. And when a guy like Dale Murphy said, look, I'm watching him. And we don't know what former Braves, I'm pretty sure Chipper Jones and Dale Murphy and these former Braves are reaching out to, to Freddie Freeman saying, man, just keep going, keep the locker room going, keep the locker because, because, Kevin, 100 and what, 60-some games a year, and you're the face and you're not a pitcher? That's a lot of credit. That's a lot of pressure. And I'm coming off an MVP season, which means, hey, man, am I really that good or did I have an MVP season? I still haven't got my – my second contract, but you couldn't ask for a better face of a franchise than Freddie Freeman because I love the fact that he showed emotion, Kevin, when he even said going into the World Series, like, it ain't hit him yet. Freddie, pitch yourself, slap yourself, do whatever you got to do. <laughs> you are here. You deserve it. You earned it, and it couldn't have happened to a better player. Yeah, steal a uh, phrase from Ben, slap yourself with the face with baby powder because you are a uh, World Series champion. We got more to come here at 3 and Out on the Southern Pigskin Radio. Have you here on 3 and Out on this Wednesday, Kevin, BJ, and Ben. Is this just the beginning, Braves World Series champion Ben, BJ? Is this just the beginning? Obviously, now you got it, and the questions begin. We asked to take three. Who do you try not to sign? I say try not to sign, but who do you potentially have to part with there in the outfield? Obviously, job number one is re-sign Freddie Freeman. There's also going to be a labor discussion, which everyone says is going to be pretty Hardly, hardly contested. Might even, I've even heard lockouts uh, talk started uh, with that. So you don't know if there'll be a DH or not. Maybe there will be. Good chance there will be. But re-signing Freddie Freeman, I think we all agree that's going to happen. Where do you go from there? Well, I think before you worry about roster moves outside of Freeman, you feel really good about the future of this organization. And saw a lot of talk on social media about, hey, here's the first. Well, you never want to assume anything in sports, but the Braves are going to be in a great spot because uh, Acuna, Albies, Anderson, Freed, Riley, Soroka, Swanson, all of those players are 27 or younger. And you're not even talking about some of the players that have had brief stints with Atlanta who are minor league players. You have a great young core. I mean, a fantastic young core. I think one that's as good, if not better, than any than any team in the league uh, I do think and Ben maybe you mentioned it earlier in the show I think Jorge Soler has got to be priority number two after uh after Freeman I mean what Soler has meant to this team providing power at the top of the lineup uh versatility in the in the outfield and if you do have the DH Kevin and I 
I guess that looks like a pretty good possibility. He's a guy that could certainly fill that role for you every day, but also move into the outfield if need be. And what I like about him is doesn't seem to really matter where you put him in the order. He's first, he's second, he's fifth, he's sixth. He still produces. And power like that plays anywhere in the lineup. And he puts pressure on opposing pitchers. Uh, you know, you know, great, just great moment last night that I think becomes a lasting part of Braves' legacy, uh, the Braves' legacy. And I think you want to try to bring him back, build on that momentum, a lineup with Acuna, Soler, Freeman, Swanson, Albies, Riley. I mean, that is daunting. So for me, and you have some options. Rosario, we'll see what he wants. But after Freddie Freeman, I think if you could bring back Jorge Soler, that is a major boost. And I think he could be a leading part of this lineup for years to come. BJ, the one thing that the Braves have on their side is leverage. They just, they just, they just superseded expectation because they won, uh, they won the World Series. I do. There, there, ain't no. I, I say there is zero point five percent chance that uh, Freddie Freeman is in any other uniform. You know, uh, not named the Braves. And then you talk about Solaire. The thing is, what Anthopoulos has at the bargaining table is, listen, you did this. You still haven't played with Ronald Acuna Jr. You still haven't seen this young phenom out there with this lineup. You still haven't seen the young phenom in Mike Soroka. I know you got Ian Anderson. I know you got Max Free. Now, this is the thing. We want to pay you, but we got you at the trade deadline when you was going to be a free agent. We believed in you when the, when the league was going to just let you just be out there and hope that somebody pick you up. So the fact that we believed in you has to say something. Now, he does have World Series MVP next to his <laughs> name. I, I, I get that part. But Alex Anthopoulos got here being smart with the money. I don't think that's going to – now, Freddie Freeman is different. I mean, Freddie Freeman, give him a check and say, Freddie, be nice. Write, write, write in what you want, and, and we'll deal with it. But, BJ, something, Kevin, you know, you don't salvage the future in the present. Now, you want to pay guys, but think about some of these teams. Think about the trade deadline and guys were getting dumped. Some of them got dumped because they're not good, and some of them got dumped because I don't want to pay this money. I want to move on to Albert Pujols. He had to move on. To the Dodgers, because they were like, look, man, we don't want to keep paying this money for a guy that's past his prime. So I do think that Solaire is the second priority. And understand, Alice Anthopoulos, which I know this is a sour taste, stealing Braves, uh, Braves fans, Marcelo Zuna, people thought that he was going to get more than he got when they re-signed him. So I just think that Alice Anthopoulos is saying, look, man, we, we want you back. But the Braves have proven we can win with anybody. Like, we take the, we we gonna keep our core guys. A lot of guys, Kevin. I think you talked before the show. Get to go to arbitration. That's yep. that's gonna work in their favor, rightfully so. But we can win because everybody outside of Joey Bats, everybody that Alex Anthopoulos has gotten in the trade deadline or before the season has typically did their job. So I'm not saying that you don't want Solaire back, but let's not act as if if Solaire don't want Ronald Cunha Jr. will be in the lineup in 2022. Hopefully, hopefully, we are praying that Mike Soroka will be in the lineup. So let's not forget about the guys that were supposed to be key contributors this year. Well, I mean, well. I, and I think some of this, uh, BJ, when you talk about, oh, man, the Braves are going to have to go out and spend money to keep everybody. I, I, I don't know that that's necessarily true. You have a number of guys under rookie deals. You'll have Dansby's going to arbitration. He'll get more money. Uh, does that mean you're breaking the bank? No, I don't think so. Plus, people forget you have guys like Kyle Wright, Kyle Muller, uh, that have pitched now in the postseason, or at least Kyle Wright did pitch very, very well. You have William Contreras, who you could have as a catching option again for next year, who has now major league experience. Shay Longaliers, 
Uh, Drew Waters, Christian Pache, if you're sour on one of them, you have him. A, 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 a number of guys, Michael Harris, a guy that really soared up the Braves prospect charts. You have top three and four prospect guys who are getting really close to being major league ready. So you could lose a couple of guys and still be really, really good. Now it takes time for rookies to come up to form, but you pair them with a team that's got veteran experience, BJ, and uh, you could have some some answers there at certain spots uh, with guys. Tucker Davidson, top prospect, didn't go great, but you asked him to pitch in a World Series. He started a World Series, and he hadn't pitched in four months. Like these are guys. That's what the Braves think of you. Uh, hey, they don't just go out there and say, ah, yeah, Tucker, you're fine. We need somebody. Just go do it. No. So I think the Braves aren't going to have to necessarily go out there and break the bank to go out and find a bunch of free agents. I think you have some prospects whose time has come, and maybe it's time to look at Kyle Wright and say, dude, the way you pitched in the World Series, we need that kind of intensity for six months. And if you do that, you're not going to get sent back down. You're going to be a guy that we all thought was a big-time player coming out of Vanderbilt. So uh, there's a chance you can strengthen your team just by bringing up guys who got experience on this team this year. Yeah, sometimes there are championships where it feels like uh, the the end of an era and, and maybe guys are getting ready for retirement. Maybe, uh, you know, free agency is upcoming and – uh, you kind of assume that this player or that player might be moving on, and you understand that you got the championship, but the core may be breaking up. You don't get that sense with Atlanta. Uh, not only do you have a number of young players, not only do you have players who haven't even uh, firmly entrenched themselves at the major league level who are very highly regarded, but I think you're, you know, your big free agent, Freddie Freeman, everybody we've talked to, Kevin, says, oh, 99% chance or greater that he's coming back to Atlanta. So you never know in sports. You never know. But for as much as you can know, I think you feel very optimistically uh, uh, about this team's future, not only for next year, but two, three, four years down the line. I mean, you think about just how young Ronald Acuna is. You think about the fact, Ben, you mentioned it, you know, Mike Soroka, who hadn't even pitched in a couple of years, still very young. You look at Max Fried, I mean, he looked like a 35-year-old, you know, Cy Young winner last time out. These are guys that theoretically – could still improve, could still, you know, find their sweet spot, so to speak. So I think there's great reason for excitement. Last night was a dream. You talk about a storybook run to a championship. And if you're the Mets, the Phillies, I mean, if you're if you're the Marlins, the Nats, you're looking around going, they've already won four in a row, and they're bringing all these guys back. Atlanta, it's not a dynasty. We're not comparing this to the 90s. I would never do that. But this is a team that looks like it's here to stay. And once all the way too early stuff, Kevin comes out for 20, uh, uh, 22. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I want to say that I did see somebody. One of the favorites. Yeah, no, I did see somebody put out way too early, and they have the Braves second behind the Phillies. I'm like, all right. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> this, 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 this is what I wanted to do. This is what Because I know this is going to happen. BJ and Kevin, we need to stop doing what we just did. It is okay. Like, look, I know we – we are not allowed to talk complimentary up the, the the season is over. We can talk a little. This is what we did all during the. Hey man, yeah, I, like Kevin was like, well, when it was seven to nothing going into the eighth, no, no, we shouldn't have to wait that long. It's it is the Braves are the World Series. There's nothing nobody can do about it. But let's stop giving the teams they play more credit than them because the Braves have earned this. Think about this, BJ. I mean, at at the, at the end of the day. They did this without Ronald Acuna. <laughs> they did this without Mike Soroka. 
Christian Pache, I don't know if he's going to go back to the number and not Andrew Jones. I don't know if that was something he shouldn't have done, but think about this. I, and I know, Kevin, know all the guys coming up in the farm system. We're here by them before next season. But for this year, this year alone, there is one team at the top of the mountain looking down at the other 29 teams, and that's them Bravos. You don't <laughs> got to like it. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. And once again, <laughs> there is a tight end that played around the same time as I did with the Jacksonville Jaguars. I will not, he will go unnamed now, but I will be getting his hat size, and I will be sending a Bravos World Series championship in a full season, not in a 60-game season <laughs> like they did last year. Just saying. We got more to come here. Three and out, Southern Pigskin Radio Network. Your World Series champions. We'll talk a lot about that moving forward. Obviously, the college football playoff uh, moving forward. And again, uh, Clay Helton tomorrow. Uh, BJ and Ben officially introduced as Georgia Southern's head football coach. Press conference, I believe, set for 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. So we'll hope to bring you some of that here on the show tomorrow. Yeah, and excited to uh, hear what Coach Helton has to say. Comes to Georgia Southern with a lot of excitement, national attention. And I'm sure he will get questions about the offense. What are his hopes, plans, uh, a vision for this Georgia Southern offense? And uh, immediately, are you going to see more of a balanced kind of pro-style approach? Will there be a hybrid of some sorts? I'm sure that will get talked about, but a lot of excitement and excited to see what he has to say. Shout out to Jared Binko and getting the guy they covered in uh, Coach Hill. And I think when you think about it, Kevin, I mean, it's bigger than being the next coach at Georgia Southern. He's bringing a total different offense. It's going to take it's going to take that Georgia Southern faithful, you know, uh, kind of time to get used to it. But well, patience will not be on his side. No, I'm saying when you talk about patience and, and changing up the offense a little bit, B.J. Ben, given the transfer portal and how stock that is with guys, how quickly can you kind of recruit to your system that way. Obviously, you don't know how guys are going to play, but yep, yep. it's a chance to get an experienced player faster into your program. I mean, BJ, there's a certain quarterback that while he still has, you know, while he still plays for the boys in Athens, I don't think he's going to be there next year. Could JT Daniels, you know, go from hit I-16 and come on down to them Georgia Southern Eagles in 2022? Well, his old coach uh, there, but a lot of big-time quarterbacks, former four- and five-stars uh, in the transfer portal already. And, yes, you've seen programs around the country, Florida State, Michigan State, uh, South Carolina, just a number of programs uh, immediately uh, fill roster needs via the transfer portal. And certainly if you get a player in with college experience, uh, maybe the learning curve not as dramatic as it is for a high school player moving up. So a lot of opportunities, a lot of potential. And, again, looking forward to uh, hear what Coach has to say tomorrow. Yeah, it should be interesting to see uh, if he drops to, hey, beautiful Eagle Creek and all that kind of stuff you do when uh, you were the head coach at, uh, at Georgia Southern. So we'll have that for you tomorrow on the program. A lot of fun today uh, doing the show, recapping the Braves' magical run, winning the World Series. Appreciate Dale Murphy joining us, Bud Ellis, Fred Owens joining us, Chris Hummer talking college football uh, playoff as well. We'll see you tomorrow, three and out, all across the Southern Pigskin Radio Network.